Let's go! Welcome to another episode of Let's Go Hockey Podcast. I'm your co-host, Danny Keith of Project Hockey. Uh, we got a special episode today, uh, almost like a gratefulness episode, but uh, super excited. With me, as usual, is... Pete Kamen of Elevated Hockey, and you're exactly right, Danny. This is a, this is a cool episode because two reasons. One, we've completed 50 episodes. So this is our 51st, looking back at the first 50 episodes. But two, the day we're recording this, and we're pushing this out shortly after, is the one-year anniversary from us launching our first episodes. So we, uh, we've made it through this full first year of Let's Go Hockey podcast. We've talked to 50 awesome guests. Um, and I, I think that, uh, you know, Danny, you and Vinny and, and I getting together once a week, pretty much talking hockey has been an awesome thing over the last year. So let's talk a little bit before we, before we kick off and Vin can tell us exactly what we're about to go into for the special uh, review episode, but let's, let's go around the, go around the horn and talk about kind of what some, some of our favorite episodes were and, and what kind of uh, some takeaways from this year talking hockey has been for us. Absolutely. Danny, why don't you start us off? Let's let Vin, Vin, you got to introduce yourself too. Get some mic time here. Who, let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's do it, Vin. Yeah, I appreciate that, Danny. Thank you. This is producer Vinny. Usually you know me as the guy that reads the advertisements or maybe you don't, I don't know, but here I am. Um, it has been incredible. This is 51 for us and I'm excited to do a lot more, but you know, you guys have been kind enough to have me as your producer and over these episodes, it's been incredible. Um, you've used your connections in the hockey world to get some Pittsburgh Penguins on. And that was, you know, mind blowing when we first did this with Teddy Bluger and Sam Lafferty early, early episodes. But before I get too far into this, uh, Danny, let's go with you first. Which episodes were some of your favorites? I listen to all these over and over again, so it's hard for me to pick, but which ones stick out in your mind? Yeah. Um, you know, my favorite favorites, um, all the big names, obviously, but um, I'm having a total brain fart on his name right now. I knew this was going to happen. What's his name again? The, the old man who was the biggest stud ever. The legend, Marty Pavlich, four-time Stanley Cup winner. The guy, I think he's 94 or 96, something like that. He's in his 90s. Yeah. He's the man. Like Marty and I go way back. I love that guy. But Marty Pavlich, that's his name. Yes, I was gonna say Marty, but I didn't want to say his name wrong out of respect to him. One of the one of the best to ever do it. Um, and don't let my brain fart fool you. Like that was honestly, genuinely my favorite episode of the season. Uh, just because, like, if you're a hockey nerd, like, then you should talk to someone who's literally seen like the first octopus thrown on the ice in the in the Red Wings arena, right? And so it's like, how do you how do you top that? I don't think you can. Um, doesn't matter who you had on. Like we've had one of the greatest, you know, Patrick Marlowe still doing it. And, and yet I put Marty ahead of that because of just how much that guy loves the game and his stories. Right. So that was definitely up there on my list. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I mean, talking with Marty is pretty special. I mean, when he goes, yeah, I remember the first time the Stanley cup was ever raised and skated right. around the rink. Like he's talking about in the, you know, in the, was it the forties or the fifties in, in Detroit. And so that was a legendary episode. I really hope everybody like, I really hope that that's our most popular episode ever. Like, I don't think it is right now, but it should be because that's the best one. Marty Pavlich from the Red Wings. Yeah. Like you mentioned, Patrick Marlowe was an awesome talk. That was a really memorable one for me. You know, he just passed, uh, got grabbed sole position of the second most games ever played. I have a feeling he's going to grab the most, the record here pretty soon, probably this season or next. And, um, but a couple other really good ones too. I mean, like, uh, talking with coach Carl from Denver was, was awesome. Uh, I, I, 
learning about how Denver recruits and how he thinks about building his team and what the characters, you know, character aspects he's looking for versus older character guys, hard workers and young skill guys and stuff like that. It, I was, you know, I'm hoping we can get some more NCAA coaches on here in the, in the future. Cause I thought that was a really interesting um, conversation. Yeah. Talking with Maddie Rooney, gold medal winning goalie for the women's Olympic team was, was fantastic. Um, you know, talking with my buddy Budai about goalies. Like I'm not a big goalie guy myself. Like I don't, there's a lot to learn from that position for me, but getting uh, Peter Budai legendary NHL player and Olympian on was, was a, a highlight for me. And couple other NHL guys as well, Rolston, Gerby, Weaver, like anytime you can, you know, there's, and we had a whole bunch more NHL guys too, but getting these guys that, that played at the highest level and, and learning from their experience was, was pretty special for me this, this, uh, this first year. And I hope, I hope the listeners liked it as well. Vinny, do you have, uh, any other, uh, favorites that stuck out for you as you're reviewing some of the other episodes? Yeah, Pete, it is hard to pick some of the favorites. I know you guys have already rattled off some that I would use too, but as somebody who's from Pittsburgh, born and raised here, loves the Penguins, getting Teddy Bluger on uh, and Sam Lafferty was just a wild way to start this podcast. For me, I know that you guys are more familiar with both of them because you're the reason why they came on the show, but having those two on the podcast as somebody who loves the Penguins, was those are two of my favorites, but... With my new job at Robert Morris University here in Pittsburgh as the director of hockey ops for the women's D1 team, it gives me a different appreciation for the women's game. I I haven't been as close to that side of hockey in my life. So going back and listening to Maddie Rooney and both of Lindsay Fry's episodes, because she came on early and was nice enough to come back, uh, really just awesome. Those are some of my favorites off the top of my head. But before I rattle off, if I could go through almost 50 episodes of my favorites, right? But... The recap list we have for our listeners today are going to include David Carl from DU, Mike Weaver, Maddie Rooney, of course, like I said, one of my favorite episodes, Brian Rolston, Patrick Marlowe, and finally, we'll finish out the show with Marty Pavlich, and I'm excited, guys. I hope that the listeners are. I know you guys are, and here's to another 50 episodes and then some more. Yeah, it was just, honestly, I never thought we'd get, you know, when we started this, I thought it'd be a couple people here and there, but as you list off these names, like, wow, we did do that. We did have Nathan Gerby on. We did have Tim Jackman on. We did have all these really cool people on. And it's like, it's really cool. Like, honestly, we could repeat the same people again and it would still be a blast. And so wouldn't be possible, obviously, without people downloading and listening. So I think, you know, uh, I, you know, if you have someone out there that you feel would love to be on our podcast that you think could add value to, to people in the game of hockey, like shoot their contact information our way because we'd love to keep this thing rolling. We've got a couple in the hopper here for this next, uh, this next season. Um, but yeah, we'd love to, we'd love to help leave this game better than we found it. So if you got connections or anything like that, send them our way. And we just appreciate everybody listening and, and tuning in. It's, it's been fun and super excited for what's to come. Yeah. I'll echo that. I I'd like to throw a big, a big thank you to all the, uh, the listeners that have, uh, tuned in and listened to our, our podcast every month for the last 12 months big thank you to all of our guests that have taken the time to come and share their experience and knowledge and advice and insights with our, our listeners and with us. You know, I think it's made Danny and I both better coaches and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll wrangle uh, Vinny into the coaching game at some point here too. And um, you know, and a big thanks to our sponsors too. You know, we had a, we had a couple sponsors throughout the year, hockey wolf being our, our flagship sponsor. So thank you to those guys for supporting what we're doing. 
Um, but you know, overall, I'm just very grateful for the full, the full year we've had. It's been a tremendous opportunity to talk with some of these people and, and to get to know Danny and, and Vinny more, uh, you know, better over in more well over the, the course of the last few months. Um, and, and it's been nice you know, I think Danny, you've probably done the same thing. Like I've connected with a lot of people that have been listening, like people that have been kind of like fans of the show, reaching out for questions and things like that. And even cross paths in person with a couple of them. And, um, I think that's what it's all about is just connecting with other passionate hockey people and talking about the game and talking how we can leave it better. Like you always say, leave it better than we found it and, and improving not only our own skill set within the game, but also, um, the other coaches and players and parents that are passionate about the game too. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm all for it. I want to keep, keep things rolling and, uh, you know, keep, let's keep seeing what, what, what next guest we can get in. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cool. Any other closing words, Vin, before we kick it off to the shows and enjoy some, some good listening? I honestly think that you guys have wrapped it up pretty well, but once again, I'll echo what you said. Thank you to everybody out there listening. This is not possible without people listening to this show. Uh, thank you to our guests and thanks to you too. Really, it's it means the world that I get to sit here and do this. Something I love for the game that's given me so much. It's fun to give something back. So absolutely. And when does this come out next Tuesday? Uh, yeah, we'll release this one. What April sixth or something? Let's go Mavericks, baby! Mavericks are playing the closing <laughs> four this weekend. Let's go Mavericks! <laughs> we should do a. Uh, we should. We shouldn't because it'll take Vinny way too long to do this. But we should do a count of how many times the Minnesota state Mankato Mavericks have been brought up on the uh, <laughs> podcast over the course of last year. Man. Yeah. It's a I lot. Actually have to correct myself a lot. I've been saying the most winning is school in the last six years. It's actually the last nine years, the most winning is school. And now we're about to go win a national championship. So it's, uh, it's all coming to fruition. I know uh, coach Mike Hastings got those boys buzzing. Um, hopefully we can get him on the podcast. He said he, he would before I'm not going to bother him this week. Let him do his thing. <laughs> Uh, maybe after the victory parade, uh, if we can pull this thing off, um, we'll get him on and talk about his experience at the frozen four. So super excited guys, but go Mavs and let's, let's light this firecracker. What do you say? Let's go. I say, let's go. Let's go. And as always, before we go to these interviews, we have to thank our flagship sponsor. They've been there from the very beginning, hockeywolf.com. If you haven't heard yet. Welcome to the podcast, but for anybody out there who's heard the podcast, you know Hockey Wolf. Hopefully, you are using them for all of your hockey needs and lacrosse needs. So, visit them at H-O-C-K-E-Y-W-O-L-F.com, lacrossewolf.com. Go get yourself some gear. Any coaches and organizational leaders, do not forget that Hockey Wolf has the best team sales options in all of North America, whatever you need. New pucks, new pants, you need helmets for your team, some warm-up suits, they've got it. Go visit them. Like we always say, go support them because they support us. And now, without any further ado, let's get to the first interview recap with David Carl, the current head coach of DU Men's D1 Hockey. Our guest today hails from Anchorage, Alaska. After playing his high school hockey at Shattuck St. Mary's and winning back-to-back national titles, he joined the coaching staff of Denver University as a student assistant coach for four years. Had a quick stop with the U.S. under-17 team, winning the gold medal at the 2011 Five Nations Tournament as a video coordinator, and moved on to the Green Bay Gamblers for a season and a half as an assistant coach before returning to Denver and spending four and a half years working at one of the top programs, the NCHC. 
His time there as an assistant included regular season title, two NCHC Frozen face-off titles, five NCAA tournament appearances, two Frozen Four appearances, and a 2017 national championship. In 2018, he was appointed head coach of DU, the youngest coach in NCAA D1 hockey, and led the team to the Frozen Four. This past season, he just wrapped up a winning uh, year, with second season behind the bench as the head coach. So with that, we'd like to welcome to the podcast, Mr. David Carl. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Pete. Thanks for having me. Danny, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're excited to have you on. Thank you for taking the time. I know it seems like we have a little bit more time nowadays, but it's still always hard to squeak stuff like it, like this in, so we appreciate it. But uh, we always love to start off with just kind of getting your background, and I know you have a unique story, and um, if you wouldn't mind kind of diving into that and kind of giving the cliff note version of, um, of your career and how you got to where you're at now. Yeah, um, I'm from, like uh, Pete said, from Anchorage, Alaska. Um, grew up with two brothers that played the game, one older, one younger. Um, we grew up playing against each other and in our house, and that's kind of how we fell in love with the game. Uh, being in the northern part of the country, a lot of outdoor rinks and things like that, and it led to uh, all three of us actually leaving home at different stages. I, I went to Shattuck. I uh, was fortunate to be able to go there. Uh, followed a good buddy of mine who Danny knows, Eli Zuck. He went the year before me and Nathan hey. Sins as well. And so followed those two guys to Shattuck and went there my grade 10 through grade 12. Had a great experience. Uh, won two championships there under Tom Ward and really learned a lot about the game and um, made a big impact on me and my life. Uh, just moving away from home at such a young age and and then my senior year, I was uh, I was invited to the NHL Combine, um, did some uh, tests there that all the prospects go through, and unfortunately, well, fortunately, I should say, was uh, diagnosed with a heart condition. They were able to pinpoint something that uh, had gone undetected my whole life, and uh, ultimately led to more testing that, that happened at the Mayo Clinic there in Minnesota, and Unfortunately, I had to retire from hockey uh, at the age of uh, 17 there in 2008. So uh, from there, I went to the University of Denver. Like Pete made mention, they honored my scholarship, and, and that's kind of how I got into coaching. It was uh, I didn't know right away that this is what I wanted to do, but each year I was at the university, I, I was given more and more responsibility by George Guazdecki, his staff, and uh, really started to find a passion for being involved in the game in this capacity. And um, it's been a blessing so far to be able to do what I've done in my career so far. Yeah. It's like you said, it's a little unexpected route I'm sure for you when you thought you were coming in to be a player and, and ended up behind the bench there, but let's, you, know, you got into the coaching ranks a little bit earlier than expected, but I've got to imagine that helped kind of shape early on, obviously your, your coaching philosophy and some of the, the things that you do there, but if you could maybe share a little bit about that, like your coaching philosophy and how that translates into, um, you know, the pioneer team and, and program and culture that you have there. Yeah. Um, I think it certainly, I mean, it. I, I kind of joked that I, I got a finance degree, but I also got a degree in coaching, uh, from the university and just the staff I got to work with and be around and how much opportunity they gave me. And I really got to start with, uh, not very much responsibility. I was really uh, doing skills sessions before and after practice. I got to 
I think, learn from the players just as much as hopefully they were learning from me as far as teaching techniques and um, talking with them through their games, through video, and then on the ice of actual skill implementation and things of that nature. So um, it was a really good way to start. When I went to Green Bay, I obviously got to do more things, had more responsibility. And uh, I've been shaped, I guess, in my coaching philosophies by the people that I've been around um, in Tom Ward, who I mentioned, who I played for at Shattuck, and Jim Montgomery, George Gwazdecki, and Derek Lalonde. And um, I think what's really important for us and our success at Denver um, within the framework of how we play is uh, we really try to focus on the fundamentals of the game, um, simplifying things, um, you know, underhandling pucks, doing, being able to do more with our eyes up, um, angling our puck pressure, our sticks on the ice, just having good habits and fundamentals to our game um, as individuals. So it allows us to play kind of a, a real solid team game. And so that's kind of the foundational pieces of our game when I guess we get into uh, what we value in our program. Um, we put a high premium on uh, on communication and honest communication from coaches to players, players to coaches, and players to players trying to um, have a real open and honest, I think, uh, relationship with one another that's vulnerable and allows everybody to to grow within it. If you don't know where you're at, it's hard to know where you're going to go. And um, so we try and be as honest as we can with one another about where people are at so that we can help individuals grow within our team framework. Switching gears, but kind of pulling just from your, your knowledge and your experience and, and what you've done so far in our game. A big thing that we like to do is just give advice for, for hockey players, youth hockey players specifically and youth hockey coaches. So do you, do you have anything out there for let's, let's talk about youth hockey players first that, um, you know, not very often does, you know, a, a peewee in Minnesota get to talk to the the head coach of Denver University and say, hey, do you have any advice for me? So if you want to maybe shed some light on some of these kids that are listening. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, for me, like at that age, it's trying to have as much fun as possible. Um, I think the the there's been a paradigm shift in our culture and within USA Hockey to try and make hockey more fun for everyone. And I think that that's a really good thing. And I love what we do um, in the U.S. now with the ADM and in our youth sports. Um, I'd also, I, you know, again, the science says to, to play more sports, like to get outside and do other stuff. Don't be – I don't think you need to be obsessed with hockey um, at the age of, you know, 12. And I would argue that you don't even need it at the age of 14 or 15, like we're talking about it through this coronavirus, like we're not going to have much summer recruiting to do. And um, I don't think that that's a bad thing for kids. Like a lot of these kids who can't go to the rink right now, haven't not gone to the rink in a really long time. And so I just think a reprieve from the sport is actually a good thing. I remember like we never played sports in the summer, um, up in Alaska, we never did any summer hockey. We were just up at our lake um, doing water sports and stuff like that. But by the time, you know, mid-July rolled around, like I couldn't wait for hockey season to start again. And I just, when you take a break from something, it reignites the joy and the feeling that you have when you step on the ice again for the first time. So 
I just encourage kids and really parents not to make it a year-round thing. You're not losing ground by not being on the ice in the middle of June. Yeah, I I fully agree with you on that. And and I think that's important for someone in your position to say that because I think there's always, at least in the U.S. here, there's always a kind of a keeping up with the Joneses where and a lot of times it's the parents driven where they, they feel like their kids are going to get left behind if if they don't do that spring team or they don't do so many camps in the summers or they don't you know play full year round. But I think you're exactly right. Being able to play a couple different sports and just take a break and come back even more recharged than before and, and help avoid that burnout factor is a, is a key thing that I think is important for someone in your position to, to relay. Cause sometimes that message gets missed from some of the parents around the country. So I agree with you on that one. Let me, let me switch, switch gears on you here um, and move to the coaching role. Uh, so if you had, or this is the opportunity, if you had some advice for a youth hockey coach uh, that's, you know, coaching somewhere, somewhere in that 12 to 15 age bracket, um, prior, you know, maybe even as high school, but before a junior career, um, what kind of advice would you extend to a youth hockey coach? Yeah, I think it would be to try and teach as much fundamentals as you can. Um, I think we, we try and complicate the game, um, in today's world. I think, you know, these, these kids, they got so much access to, um, skills coaches, video coaches, um, this and that apparatus and um you know for me like if you can't pass shoot skate angle you're just not going to be able to play at a real high level so um i think keeping it simple stupid honestly is uh is what's best like just a lot of time focusing on fundamental skill development and um to, to try and make your kids better. And I think it's, it's encompassing that too with, with trying to make it fun. I mean, we just talked about burnout rate. Um, kids do need to enjoy coming to the rink and they got to know that it's, they're playing the game to have fun. And I remember when I was growing up, I, I also liked how we would switch positions. Like we'd go for a month. I was a defenseman, you know, for most all my life. And, but for every season we'd go for like, two or three times we'd go for two week, three week stretches of playing forward and doing different and just having to learn the game from a different perspective. And that's even something that we do here. We'll do practices where we'll have our defensemen play forward and we'll have our forwards play D just so that they get a little bit of a different perspective and some appreciation for how hard each position is. Cause every D man thinks forwards are stupid and forwards think the D-men have the easiest job in the world because they don't have to skate very much. So it's like right. um, get outside your comfort zone with that, I think, and, and just try and learn about the game. Yeah. I've even heard of coaches like uh, – and we used to do this back uh, youth hockey one time where you just switch sticks with a lefty and a righty <laughs> and you would play your opposite yeah. hand just to start and have a little fun. Um, I, I think it will also be interesting – I don't know how you could ever tell, but if like a lot of kids nowadays are getting overuse injuries and uh, hip surgery by the time they're 15, I wonder if this pause will have, well, like we'll see a drop in that number. So I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that, but yeah, uh, yeah, it would be. Yeah. We certainly have had kids. I think we've had two in the last three years that have had hip surgery prior to coming, you know, right. and um, obviously the labrum is a, is a major Thing in hockey right now then a lot of it is yeah it is overuse for sure yeah 
you talked about you talked a lot about fundamentals is there like three things that are kind of non-negotiables for the denver pioneers like we're doing these three drills every week or we're doing these three things every practice uh, outside of like systems and and power play and stuff like that like is there like we, we do this because it helps with angling we do this because it helps keep our passing crisp yeah so i think three three things do come to mind we implemented it uh, the first one in the uh second half here where uh tavis uh, one of my assistants um stole a one-timer drill um that has a lot of reps and it's it's a four dots drill and we do it every day like if you can't shoot off the pass uh, we have a belief that it's really hard to score goals and if you look at um, a lot of the goals we score a lot of goals that are scored in the NHL you have to be able to shoot off the pass in different spots so that would be a fundamental skill that we worked on every day um, from January 1 on this year um, Two other things that I would say that we do on a weekly basis is we'll do some form of puck protection um, in and along the wall, whether it's um, trying to create space for yourself by getting off the wall and then cutting back, um, or if you're tied up against the wall and the guy's right on you and you have to use kind of a bump back and open up your hips and push off them that way. So we'll work on our, our uh, puck protection skills, and I think that's a skill that every player can, can use, defensemen and forwards alike. Um, and then we'll also typically do an angling drill um, every week, some, dr some drill that has some form of puck pressure where we're having to skate forwards, where we're not allowed to skate backwards, that's D-man included, um, and angling from the middle of the ice out. Those would be, I guess, three things that come to mind for me off the top of my head. I love that. Three, uh, three major pillars of the game that – I think in a lot of youth at the youth level is probably overlooked. You know, it's, it's, there's such simple skills that everything you just listed, but can at every single level of the game from, from higher than yours and lower than yours it is, you know, it's a huge part of, of, of the actual gameplay. So I love hearing that answer. That's, that's awesome. Um, David, let's, let's switch gears here and jump into uh, some of the listener questions. So a couple of days ago, before we, uh, we had this call, we posed it out to some of our audience that, um, what questions would they want to ask you? And so we've got a couple of them here we picked out. So the first one here, um, as a college coach, winning is important. However, how much focus is put on player development each week? Is it more in the half or in the first half of the year or less in the second half of the year? Is there, is that a consistent part of DU hockey? And that comes from, uh, 11 hockey 11. Perfect. Good question. Um, yeah, so we, I would say that a lot of our drills, we try to make them all as game-like as we can. Like, they're, we don't just do things to do things. And so there's, I would say there's a skill development component to a lot of what we do, whether it's, again, one-touching passes, shooting off the pass, tipping and screening, um, D-men one-timing pucks to come low to high, um, things like that, getting used to wall play. Um, those are all things that are, that are skills like and I just some of them are hard skills that people maybe don't perceive as skill development but if you're not good along the walls like you're you're gonna be um, doing yourself a disservice so um, I would say that early in the year and it, a lot of it depends on our team too like a younger team we're going to be working a lot on our puck pressure our angling how we want to play without the puck 
especially early in the year, so that we can look like a cohesive group of five on the ice. Um, as the year goes on, we may do more, um, you know, Monday practices that are completely skills where we split up into three groups uh, for 40 minutes and we're doing 15 minutes in each section, you know. Um, with a more veteran group like we're going to have next year, I would perceive us doing um, shorter practices and more skill development as a part of our practice, like more concentrated puck skills um, and things like that. So it, it varies year to year, and it also varies on the needs of your team and where they're at mentally and um, those types of things. So I, the only thing I would I would say, though, again, is – Skill development, I think, has gotten a – it's kind of a, a cute word to use right now. Um, and I think people envision it with, you know, um, apparatuses and stuff like that on the ice. But there's hard skill development that is a huge part of the game still that needs to be developed through um, competition and game-like drills and practice. So I think that's a part of skill development as well. Absolutely. I, I just had that uh, same conversation with Tim Jackman, just the idea of like, you know, you don't need and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm guilty of it, I guess you could say, of just putting stuff on the ice. Um, and half of that is for, for flash and the other half of that is just to keep kids engaged. But then there's a whole other side of things that I don't show off all the time. Because like you said, they're hard skills. and People don't necessarily want to see that or watch that, but it's a huge important part. And uh, Jackman kind of hit on the on the head with that. Just like the, these things need to be worked on, like the the ability, yeah. or just to be able to hammer, like even hammer a slap shot. Like we've lost that that feel for the game, and he he talked about that for like an hour. It was it was a good conversation. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I do I do think that apparatuses do engage kids. They do get excited. Attention spans are yeah. different now than they were ten years ago, and so. You, you do need to be creative and use some of those things to um, to get their brains excited, I think. Um, yeah. and, that, and that goes for kids at our level too. But, you know, it's, it's funny. Like we run, we run some face-off plays where the puck's got to get up off the glass. And, you know, like that's a skill, you know. Yeah. Like ask Robert Bortuzzo or Jackman, like – that's a skill that, that literally you, if you're six, two and you're good defensively and you know how to put a puck off a piece of window and out in the neutral zone and don't ice it, like you can play a long time. So right. there's just like, there's different skills for different people. And there, there is hard skill that uh, we can't forget about too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the next question we got comes from only underscore hockey underscore page. Uh, and it was just what goes into recruiting a player? That's a lot of underscores. Yeah, that's a lot of underscores. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, recruiting players, uh, you know, again, it's different for each program. Um, ours, um, we talked about it initially, like we really try and speak open and honestly in the recruiting process too about what we value in a player's game and where we think we can help them. Um, and we try to, we try not to over promise and under deliver. Like we'll, we'll never be a school that says you're going to play on the first line and on the first power play and those types of things. Um, and so recruiting is, it's certainly, at our level, it's the name of the game. You get to choose the players that you bring into your program and the people you bring into your program. And um, so for us, we recruit a lot in Western Canada, Western U.S. 
Um, spend a lot of time watching junior hockey, try to have a balance of when players come in at what ages. They're not all true freshmen. A lot of them are 19, 20-year-olds when they come. And uh, we try and do it with as, as as upfront and honest approach as we can so that we're getting kids um, committing for the right reasons, but also saying no for the right reasons. It's it's just as important to show who you are to some kids and some families and to see if they like that. And if they don't, then they go somewhere else. And at the end of the day, that's a good thing for your program. Awesome. I think just a ton of stuff that I'm pulling away, just like your mindset of like, from when you started and then then you even just spoke about like I want to make sure kids are saying yes for the right reason but then also no for the right reason and I've never really heard anyone talk about talk about it like that and so I think just the culture and the mindset there again just to point that out but the last the last question here before we kind of close things up um, and I know you talked about uh, a little bit just like guys that go on to play in the NHL and having a balance of non-drafted kids versus, you know, those those veterans and those high picks. But the question was, um, what are the top attributes that separate a player that gets drafted slash goes to the NHL versus um, that doesn't end up making it there? Yes, I think I'd like to answer probably more just on the guys that um, maybe make it into successful um, Yeah pro hockey and maybe that's not even fair because it, it does take a lot to, to play at the D one level. And, um, yeah. you know, we talk about it with our guys a lot. It's, I guess it'll be in two part, but like the guys that typically make it, I guess, um, they start to treat hockey like, um, maybe a, a job is maybe not the right word, but they, they start to act like a pro at a really, uh, young age and, and within their time with us. They're very regimented on what they put into their body, how they're taking care of their body, the skill work that they put in, their level of intensity every day in practice, their consistency in practice and in games. And those those guys typically, um, it will translate. But I'll say, like, you can do everything right and it's still not going to translate. Like, you're just – you're either A, not going to get an opportunity, or B, you know, some bad things could, could happen. Like, it's just, there's so much that's out of your control. It's, it's, right. it's really hard to make it to the NHL. And you could do everything right, never eat dessert, you know, whatever it is that you think you're doing and the other guy's not. And sometimes life isn't fair and you don't make it for whatever reason. And so, um, you know, I guess that's what I would say on it. But it's like it's typically guys who start acting like a pro early on, give themselves the best chance to to be able to have that opportunity. So, coach here, you can check him out. He's obviously the head coach at Denver University. So, so go check out their their Instagram and Facebook stuff. Du underscore hockey. That's kind of another thing that's that's changed a little bit since since I was playing college. Just the the social media and what what guys have access to and, and what like even seeing themselves on feeds and stuff. But that's a, that's a whole nother topic. And, and just like our conversation today, I'm sure there's, well, I know there's a bunch more that we could dive into. So we'd love to have you on again, but before, before we do say our goodbyes, we always ask our guests to just say, let's go. All right. One, two, three, let's go. Love it. Thank you. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, time is invaluable. And so, uh, we're using this time to get better, which is why, why we started something like this. And we appreciate having you on coach. 
Yeah, truly appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, you guys are doing great work, and I look forward to listening to all your podcasts. Thank you. We really appreciate it. All right. Awesome interview with David Carl. Really appreciated him being on the show. And now we go back to episode 18 with Mike Weaver. Hey, Link from Ontario, Canada, a standout defenseman from Michigan State University, which included two-time CCHA Best Defensive Defenseman, two-time CCHA All-Star, two-time NCAA Second Team All-American, and two-time CCHA Champion. Let's go. 15-year pro career, including an IHL championship, AHL championship, and 633 games played in the National Hockey League for the Thrashers, Kings, Canucks, Blues, Panthers, and Montreal Canadiens, including a season as assistant captain as the on the Florida Panthers. Let's go. After retiring from the NHL in 2015, he is now the CEO and co-founder of Coach Them, an online coaching tool to create, edit, and share drills and practice plans for both hockey and lacrosse. Owner of Defense First Hockey School, Mike Weaver. Welcome to the Let's Go Hockey Podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, great. The only thing you're missing is my Dream Weaver uh, song intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to work some magic on that one. We'll uh, we'll get the the glitz and glamour coming for for nice. the intro. There. No, thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks for having me. Excited. Yeah, we're excited to talk to you too, uh, Mike. We really appreciate you coming on. But like like Heater uh, touched on a couple of the 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 points throughout your career. Can you give us a little ba uh, background on kind of where you came up playing and, and kind of what brought you through your career? Well, I was uh, in, in Ontario, so I was with uh, a lot of the teams uh, that I'm going to mention don't exist anymore. So uh, uh, I started off with uh, Bramalee, Chinkuzi Blues, uh, which Chinkuzi doesn't exist. Bramalee uh, Blues doesn't exist. Um, Richmond Hill Vaughn Kings, I went there, we won the uh, All-Ontarios, ended up going, um, playing, uh, there was five of us that ended up playing underagers, we were called the Top Guns in, in Ontario, so it was five underagers playing junior hockey uh, with the Thornhill Islanders, uh, ended up going to Bramley Blues after that, and then uh, I ended up getting a full scholarship to Michigan State, so uh, playing in... <clears throat> Uh, Ontario uh, in one of the biggest populations for hockey was uh, pretty memorable um, a lot of my friends uh, didn't really make it in the uh, in the NHL but I'll, for the most part I think uh, the odds of making it were pretty slim and uh, I think one of the best things when I was younger is my my mother and father really put a lot of a focus on education. So it was kind of uh, trying to maintain balance in my uh, youth and um, knowing that if I had a game the next day, I was uh, taking a little nap uh, or going to bed early. Let's dive into that a little bit because, I mean, education is so important and the odds are obviously slim to make it to the NHL. And like, I always like, I baffle it or I'm excited or baffled, whatever the correct word is. It's crazy to me when people play in the NHL because that is such an incredible thing to do. And um, before we go any deeper, like that's unbelievable. And thanks again for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, and so you played on, you played on multiple championship teams, including uh, when you were at Michigan state. And so how, how did that prepare you and like tie, tie in the idea of education for that and, and got you ready for your pro career? Well, 
it's when I was in, um, it was grade 12. I don't know, it was a grade 11. I ended up, um, a guy that lived with me, Mike York, he played in the NHL for a number of years. He was living with me and he was getting recruited by Michigan State. And um, in order to have them talk to you, you have to have enough credits in order to graduate in your final year at um, high school. So I had a little bit of, I was able to go with him to uh, unofficial visits at Michigan State and a couple of different universities. And back then it wasn't really uh, a route to the NHL. And so I was kind of ahead of the curve when it came to that. Uh, I knew that me being a five nine defensive defenseman that couldn't score, <laughs> uh, didn't have any offensive skills at all. I basically ate pucks for a living, yeah. and it was very, it was very, like it's something. The odds of making it, I always looked at the odds of making it to the NHL were pretty slim. But education, no matter if you play one game in the NHL or you play six hundred thirty three games like myself. At some point, you got to fall back on education, and I recognize that at an early age. That um, Michigan State really was close enough that my parents were able to drive, and uh, I got a pretty good education. My, it was basically my dad's scholarship. It wasn't my scholarship. He he made it. He missed was it four games in four years, and his closest road trip was four and a half hours. He drove every single game. He. Um, his uh, uh, Alaska Fairbanks was in our uh, division, and it's funny. His his underwear is hanging up in a bar in Alaska <laughs> next to all these bras, and it's signed by the head coach uh, Ron Mason uh, of Michigan State. So <laughs> it's something that, at the end of the day, everybody focuses is so much too much on on hockey, and and there's got to be balance and. And Ron Mason, uh, who's recently passed, um, he came into my uh, living room and he's just like, Mike, you got to think of your life right now as a triangle. And each side has, uh, has its own. Um, uh, so like one side is education. Um, the other side, education and schooling. The other side is uh, sports um, and staying fit. And then the bottom is your social life. And, and family and you got to keep balance and he said if you go and party too much well that triangle is going to get out of whack you got to keep every side balanced and every side the same length and it's something that I've really have always remembered all my uh, pro career and then post and it's it's I always am trying to rebalance my life like along the way, what you, what you got me thinking about was like you, you obviously listened and you learned from others around you and there, there's got to be like one or two guys. I mean, when you play that many games in the NHL, there's got to be a few guys around you that did stuff that was extremely special and made them the player that they are. Are there a couple guys that maybe we could talk about just a little bit and like this, they did this special and that's why they played over a thousand games in the NHL, that type of thing? Well, you could tell the guys that just got by. Um, some guys got by on their skills. Um, some guys were the first guys on the ice and the, and the last guys off. But I'm going to say one of the biggest things with me, um, it was in uh, Florida. 
when I was with the Florida Panthers, I remember going into a hotel uh, where we arrived there late and I ended up going into a hotel. I'm not going to mention who it was, but he ended up pulling me in the room. Um, and he ended up telling me a player ended up saying, Mike, stop watching video. And I'm like, why? He's just like, stop watching video. You're making us look bad. I'm like, I don't care about anybody else. I'm looking at video not to make me look good. It's for me to figure out what went on because I would never watch when I was watching a video, I would never watch where the puck was. I always watched away from the puck. I would always watch what everybody's doing because if I knew what everybody else's options were, I was able to tell the future and I was able to dictate exactly and figure out where that puck was going to end up. And I was able to prepare myself and my positioning to go and get the upper hand on whoever I was playing against. And I would always watch video every single time at the, um, uh, I would, uh, get on a plane. I had, uh, well, later on in the career, I had, I had an iPad right in my hand and I would have all my ship tapes and I watch every single game. So that was one thing I can't really point out exactly who else, um, made some different, um, things that help them out. I'm going to say that for me, that's the reason why I was able to stay ahead of the curve. I was able to really figure out what was happening before it happened. Yeah. I think, I think that's interesting. We've talked to a lot of guys in the last couple of weeks and they've, they've leaned on video and I think it's such an important piece of the game today at the higher levels and it's starting to trickle down into the youth. Um, so it's interesting hearing, you know, different perspectives with the NHL level when you were playing on, on how much video you'd be watching. But so that brings me to my next question about kind of preparation. Um, you, you just said you, you, you watched a lot of your shifts and you, you try to anticipate the different options that players were having. So um, with that in mind, how did you focus in your practicing and training, um, you know, as a, as a shutdown defenseman? I did things a little bit different. A lot of guys would be heavy into the, weights and, and getting I was I was really into body weight I was really, really into body weight and um, just doing different different types of exercises like being able to hold off guys uh, being able to be in position especially me being a shorter guy I had to I had to get my um, balance uh, uh, amazing and I had to get my lower body strength even more so I would do different exercises in, in the, the gym that really um, ended up um, bringing me to the next level. So I would go and figure out on the ice what was going on, and I would go and take, take that into the gym and figure out something that I was able to uh, mimic. Uh, as far as um, I used to have um, – um, I used to put um, – uh, a rope uh, tied to t tied to a weight, and as the rope was pulling me back, I was trying to go and get in position of of a guy, and I had a guy shoving me from behind. So I was on a slippery floor that was actually pushing me this way, but I kept on trying to go and in position myself, so I was able to go and box out a guy in front of the net. So there's like little things that you got to look at. I, I was really good, and that's with, even with my hockey school defense first. I was really 
good about looking at a situation and I was able to bring that and, and figure out how to come up with a solution because that's what we're doing. It's not like anybody's doing anything major out there. It's just the same things over and over and over again. But it's as as a as a defensive player, you got to go and figure out how to go and come up with a solution of something that's happening, right? And you got to come up with different unique ways of doing it. Whether you see somebody else doing it and say, "Oh yeah, I like that," but I would change a couple little things. Yeah, you just got to go and be a solution. Um, come up with solutions for situations that happened in the game. And, uh, you know, like I was saying, like with me, I would even take off a month, a uh, month and a half in the summertime of nothing. I would maybe jog, jogging here and there, but I found that I needed more rest than I needed to get stronger. So it's all about understanding what type of player you are at an early age Sure, you want to improve in different areas, but you want to figure at some point, like when I made it to the NHL, I figured out that, hey, I couldn't score goals. So I was going to focus and get my strengths um, in the things that I did well and improve, obviously, the minor things that I didn't do, do so well. But I really mainly focused on what, what was my strengths. Can you tell me kind of your thoughts on a defensive uh, defenseman role or tips or tricks that you have for defensemen that are on a, on a PK unit? Um, well, I was just, I was just on a podcast, well, um, with, uh, Brad Shaw, he was, he was going and talking to the NHL coaches association, uh, about, uh, penalty kill. And, um, it was awesome because he was, I was on his team, Brad Shaw, the assistant coach with, um, St. Louis. I was on his team and we we're number one in the NHL. And I was like averaging like six minutes a game in penalty kill. So the one thing, don't be afraid to block a, block a shot. Like I used to love it. I, I miss, I, I miss the bruises. I miss feeling sore the next morning. I, I would always be when I was, when I woke up the next morning after a game, if I didn't feel sore, I'm like, I didn't play hard enough. Um, look at different ways of blocking a shot. There's, you could put your, your knee down. There, there's different ways of doing it. But there, there, there's the right way and the wrong way. So, obviously, it's tough for me to really go through the whole entire thing about that. But being not afraid for that uh, is a big thing. And what I talked about earlier, no – Obviously, on a penalty kill, you're one man short. So knowing where every single person is and not just looking. Like if you look once, well, that's like taking a picture. Well, a picture only lasts for that moment. And the game of hockey moves so fast. You've got to take multiple pictures all the time and having your head on a swivel. And to be honest, a lot of times you don't even have to look like this because a lot of players are waiting for you to look like this as you're looking back, that player is passing it. So, like, little things like even moving your eyes, being in position, knowing where the guy is. Because on a five-on-four, every guy has two guys to cover. So you got to figure out what your two guys are, right? Everybody has two guys to cover. And it's, it's something that, obviously, every coach has their own way of doing things. But 
being responsible for your two guys, I think is, uh, and having that stick in the lane and, and understanding that, like even little points I teach in my hockey school. So as with a hockey stick, if you go and reach, with every time you reach further, what happens? Your, your stick starts coming up, right? So as a puck is able to go and fit underneath there. So I figured out, well, I'm missing about two inches just on that. So if you're able to turn your, your stick down like this, you're able to grab it every single time. A lot of people don't realize that when you get to the higher levels, guys will pass it and know how long you're able to reach. And it's slipping and under the blade of your stick. You're talking about turning the blade over down on the ice so that someone can't slip the puck under the blade. Yeah, exactly. And being able to go and utilize your stick because I remember um, I was with um, – I signed with Pittsburgh Penguins uh, on a two-way, and I ended up getting put on waivers uh, before that, um, before I officially was told to move into a place. Um, but I remember I was playing with um, uh, Monkey in the Middle with uh, Sid. Uh, Sid and um, Colby Armstrong. And he would always – Sid would always tell me that he would always want to put it through my triangle, which is that stick down to the ice, back to the skate, and up. And that little area, like it's phenomenal what he's able to do, but that little air area, he's able to go and throw it, and he almost consistently did it for the first 15 shots. And uh, it was well, – at that point, I, got, I had to come up with a solution. So I was able to go and use my skates – and my stick at the same time in closing off that gap. But it's like little things like that. I learned it from him, that part, and I learned a million other things from other players, but it's all about coming up with those solutions for issues that you're having. We appreciate you coming on before. Before we let you go, though, we got to get a let's go. Let's go. There we go. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Mike, that was awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Hopefully we can talk to you again sometime and dive even deeper on on your D, your thoughts on D and uh, but that's a great conversation. I think you left a lot of good good points for coaches and, and players and parents to consider and uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that the people really take out of as much as I think Heater and I did. So I appreciate you coming on and we uh, look forward to having you again sometime. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, been a pleasure. Anytime you want me back to discuss defense, I'm your man. Awesome, awesome. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Awesome interview with Mike Weaver. That was, again, episode 18. And next up, we actually have the very next episode, episode 19 with Maddie Rooney, Team USA gold medalist in 2018. Let's get to it. Hailing from Andover, Minnesota, she backs up the Andover Girls High School team to its first ever Minnesota State Tournament appearance before switching over to the boys high school team in her senior season, where she posted 91 save percent in 25 games. From there, she was a three-time U.S. National Camp attendee and member of the 2013-2014 U.S. U18 National Team. She represented the USA on the women's national team in 2017 and 2019 IIHF Women's World Championships, winning gold medals in both events. In between those world championships, she backstopped the 2018 U.S. Women's Olympic team in the Pyeongchang Olympics, defeating Canada 3-2 in a shootout 
in the championship game to win the gold medal in dramatic fashion, the first U.S. women's gold since 1998. She's just wrapping up her senior season at the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs with the NCAA Division I hockey, where she's racked up numerous WCHA awards and multiple school records during her collegiate career. Maddie Rooney, welcome to Let's Go Hockey Podcast. How's it going today? It's going well. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. That was, uh, I mean, that that was probably the first time I got butterflies during an intro. I like all the stuff that you've done and uh, winning a gold medal, which I mean is, I mean, it's awesome. So let's go. But uh, let's talk a little bit about your, your career. I know Cameron talked about those stops and those highlights, but let's get kind of the, the view from your eyes and how that went for you. And when you were starting back in, in Minnesota. Yeah, so I grew up um, playing boys youth hockey all the way up until my sophomore year of high school where I switched over and played with the girls for two years and then ultimately went back to play on the boys varsity hockey team my senior year just to give myself uh, the ultimate challenge leading into college and it almost felt like I was going back to the normal. I played with that same guys team basically my whole youth career Um, and I think that really prepared me going into college um, with the transition from boys high school into um, girls college hockey. It was a little bit tough my freshman year. I dealt with um, some kind of over anticipating plays and some technical goalie things that just the pace was different. Um, So I kind of had to hone in on my game and kind of fine tune some things and slow my, uh, kind of paced down as a goalie in order to adjust but yeah I think um, definitely my youth career and high school career in Minnesota um, allowed me to succeed in my college and then the national career. Oh that's awesome well we're yeah we're excited to dive into that path and that that journey um, your your specific hockey journey a little bit more and I think Dan here tell me if I'm if I'm right I think you might be the first gold medalist we have on the podcast so that's pretty pretty exciting for us so (laughs) it's an honor it is it is first uh first of many yeah well maddie this is cool but let's uh let's dive right into that talking about uh minnesota high school hockey i mean it's it's an institution obviously and um you know you kind of mentioned that you'd played on the boys side of the game growing up and then transitioned to the girls high school game for a little bit and then came back over to the boys side of the game um Talk about maybe some of your decision-making to make those transitions. I think some of the, the listeners out there, um, I think that's a common common uh, question that a lot of parents and players are, are considering themselves. So for you specifically, you know, what, what weighed into your decision to move from boys hockey to girls hockey and then, and then back to boys hockey your senior year? Yep. So transitioning from uh, boys youth to girls high school, I really didn't know that there was an option for me to continue playing boys high school um so that was ultimately the decision maker I thought that was just what I had to do and don't get me wrong I loved my two years at girls um high school I made like you said the state appearance which was one of my favorite memories from my high school career um made some great friendships but then kind of got talking with the boys high school coach actually my parents were the one that kind of started that discussion and I kind of thought it was just like a rumor at first, like some people would joke with me like, oh, you should go play boys. And I was like, no, like that's not, that's not possible. And then, like I said, my parents kind of started that discussion with the high school coach, Mark Manny, and he was like, come try out our summer um, program. And so I did. And I, 
I did I did okay. Um, struggled at first, obviously, but made uh, improvements throughout that summer. And then he's like, yeah, come up to tryouts and went from there. Like in the off season leading up to a, a – your, your, whether it's your college season or leading up to uh, you know Olymp- an Olympic year, an Olympic event, what what does an off season, a typical off season, look like for you um, from a training standpoint, and any anything else that you do to prepare yourself for the season? Yep. So usually after uh, Worlds, that's usually my last thing for the season. Unfortunately, we didn't get one this year due to COVID. But so I took, I usually take about a month break from the ice I still do off ice training but I kind of just take a mental break from the ice um start get training back in uh, mid-may early June and I do a lot of goalie specific training with a goalie coach I think that helps me a ton just to focus on the technical side of the game and allows me to go into the season feeling confident um but Really for the off-seasons, talking specifically about college, relied a lot on off-ice training. Um, Going into college, I was not the kid you would find in a weight room whatsoever, but uh, I got into structured training once I got into college and got stronger, and I think it really allowed me stronger, faster, and it really contributed contributed to my on-ice performance. Um, But once I got to the national team level, I mean – I'm like 22 now and I've been doing training for a while. And so now I've tried to shift my focus more on my hand-eye type drills and kind of different goalie-specific off-ice drills. And I think that's really brought my game to the next level and it's allowed me just to give me some new things to be exposed to and kind of make training, um, like spice training up a bit, so to say. (laughs) Um, but that's something that I've done in the off season. And then also with the national team girls right now, we're currently doing like virtual once a week workouts together. Um, and then we do a mental skills meeting about once, once a month and just team zoom meetings here and there. Well, Maddie, we, we threw out, um, you know, we, we put it out on our Instagram that you were coming on and, and, you know, some of the questions that people were, were asking us were kind of in the same mind, like line of thinking that I was thinking too, um, and diving back towards your, 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 your big gold medal win. Um, a bunch of the questions were, were, were asking if you could talk about that shootout victory a little bit and, and kind of what, what your thinking was leading up to that game. And then during that, that shootout. Yeah, leading up to uh, that gold medal game, um, I wasn't as nervous as I expected myself to be. Um, I did my typical routine. The Olympic Village had a 24-7 free McDonald's, so I would go get (laughs) coffee every morning before the games. Um, It was an early game, so I didn't really have too much time to just sit around and think, so that was actually probably a good thing. Um, Got to the rink, did my typical pregame routine like normal. and then I think the game went on, obviously, 2-2. Two to two. Um, At the end of that overtime, there was a 4-on-3 situation that was obviously a pretty good scoring opportunity for Canada, being a 4-on-3, and we killed that off. And there was some – there was a save that I had where I thought it was a goal. Everyone in the ring probably thought it was a goal. She started celebrating. But um, it was a desperation save, just throwing my paddle out there. And it kicked my paddle and somehow missed the crossbar. And that was with under a minute left in regular, or overtime. 
And so at that point, it was like, okay, puck luck's on our side. We just killed off this four on three. Like, we have a ton of confidence. Um, and then it ended up ultimately going into that shootout. And people ask me all the time what I was thinking going through that shootout and then that final moment. And it's really hard for me to put into words. But being a goaltender in shootouts, you really have to just expect the unexpected. Um, you can't think too much into the plays because you'll kind of psych yourself out. So that was pretty much my mindset, just reacting in the moment. Um, I got that final shootout player. She actually had scored on me in the second round, I believe. So it was having that in the back of my mind, but also, like I said, not thinking too much into it and expecting the unexpected. And, yeah, made that final save. And really the only thing I remember is my teammates rushing at me and ultimately going black under a dog pile. It's, um. And I, I think the way it worked too uh, was the one of the and correct me if I'm wrong and Vinny cut this out if I'm wrong but uh, the one of the one of the Lamaru sisters scored right before that right and then yeah. and then mm-hmm. you made the save yeah um, goal I bet what was what was it like having those um, the Lamaru twins on your team I played with uh, Pierre and Mario their two brothers in junior hockey and that family is just. A machine mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine the girls aren't any different were there any like crazy twin stuff that was like wow those two are just dialed in um not any like crazy incidents come to mind they're very they're both very competitive they push one another especially playing on the same line together um they're just both such great hockey players and role models to look up to as to me they're vet- veterans on the team and It really carried us in that gold medal game with Monique scoring in regulation to tie the game. And then Jocelyn having that unbelievable shootout goal. Um, It just shows the type of clutch players that they are. Yeah, for sure. Did you, um, did you actually black out under that uh, dog pile? Was it pretty heavy? (laughs) I mean, I think I was just overwhelmed with joy, but it was probably pretty pretty heavy. I mean, it's, yeah, it's better than the alternative, right? Like you'll take that any day of the week. Appreciate. Uh, yeah. So now, so you've obviously done more than, I mean, the stuff you've done in hockey and you're only 22 years old is crazy. And so looking forward, what, what kind of stuff are you looking to get into? What are your upcoming goals? Are you planning on sticking around the game of hockey? Um, I know the Olympics aren't too far away. What is your, what are your thoughts kind of moving forward here? Mm-hmm. So definitely uh, going to stick around in the game of hockey as long as they uh, want me back. So um, this next year, I plan on playing in the PWP or PWHPA. I always get that mixed up. But it's the Women's Professional Hockey League um, next to the NWHL. And so I'll be playing in that. And also just I'll be, be a goalie coach part-time back here in Minnesota. Um, I really enjoy that. So I'll continue doing that and pushing off my – adult life job for a couple more years and then this summer my focus is just on um I'm starting with a new goalie coach this summer so hearing her insights and I'm excited to get new tips and uh new ways to approach my game um and then continue to develop off ice as well yeah absolutely who's um who's the goalie coach that you're working with Allie Altman this summer former Mankato goalie Let's go. <laughs> uh, I just wanted her to say Mankato, Minnesota State. But uh, what, what team are you playing for next year? Is that already decided? Is that out there? I'll be in the Minnesota region. Um, 
so yeah, that goes by region. So I'll be in that Minnesota West region. All right on. Awesome. Nice. And then you mentioned that you're going to start working with, uh, as like a goalie coach as well. Is that kind of a, have you been doing that for a while in the off seasons or is that, is that a new venture for you? Yeah, I've been doing that for about four years now in the summers and I really enjoy it. Um, I do it locally, but now that I am done with the NCAA and can promote myself, I plan on doing more things um, individualized and I'm looking forward to starting my career in that sense. Awesome. Well, I'm sure you're going to have a long, very successful career in that. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of you know girls and boys that would love to train with you. So with that in mind, uh, what kind of advice would you extend to a youth hockey player that's aspiring to improve their game, reach either the NCAA or international level, or, or just keep you know moving and progressing in their path? Yeah, so looking back on my development as a youth hockey player and goal, goalie specifically, Definitely doing the extra things. Um, like I mentioned earlier, hand-eye coordination. It's not something I did when I was younger, but I feel like if the goalies started, or youth hockey players in general started that at a young age, that would really benefit them moving forward. Um, but work ethic is always huge. Um, listening to your coaches, obviously. And just enjoy the memories and moments at the rink. Uh, it goes by really fast, so... These next few years, um, up until high school and beyond, really, is some of the best memories you'll have throughout your hockey career. And, yeah, I think doing the little things outside the rink and spending extra time at the rink is really going to further each youth player's development and set them apart from the others. And what about the flip side? Like you mentioned, listening to your coaches. What What's some advice for those coaches in regards to, like, I mean, player development or just the idea of like goalie development, like did you have a youth or a high school or college coach that was like, Hey, this, this coach did this differently than anyone I ever had. And it, uh, it helped me do what I'm doing in, in the game of hockey. Yeah. I had a goalie coach who actually, uh, ended up being my college goalie coach as well. Like he started off right. as my goalie coach when I was first started probably like 11 years old as a goalie. And then ultimately ended up coaching me in college. Um, And something that he did for me when I was younger and first starting out, he really just made the game fun. Like, of course, you have to do the technical side of the game. You have to teach the kids, like, the important basics and fundamentals of hockey and goaltending. But making it fun, like playing those rebound games, um, five puck drills, really just doing things to keep the kids entertained, I find was – big for me because it's easy for goalies to get bored and just sit there in the net so if you're not a goalie coach and you're like a head coach of a team try to incorporate the goalies in all drills and keep them entertained and interested yeah I think that's solid advice for coaches I mean there's one thing I've been fortunate to travel around the U.S. and work with in different areas and and, you know it's, it's, it's always a shame if you see those drills where the goalie just stands there and then ends up just getting a puck every now and then. But, you know, having a, you know, thinking goalie first when you're, when you're outlining those drills and those practice plans and, you know, with a lot of the station-based stuff, you know, I try to recommend that at least one of those drills is uh, goalie focused and so that they're constantly engaged and they're constantly working on different skills. So I think that's huge advice for coaches is getting those, uh, getting the fun factor up there and getting those coaches engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, Maddie, what, 
before we before we start wrapping things up here, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to put out there to, to the to the listeners or any other um, you know final thoughts before we start wrapping things up? Um, no. If anyone out there has any questions, feel free to DM me on my Instagram page. I'm always happy to talk or answer questions from the youth or parents looking for advice for their goalies. So my uh, direct messages are always open. <laughs> Nice. And so that's, uh, your, your Instagram page is, uh, M A D D I E underscore Rooney R O O N E Y uh, Y 35, right? Maddie underscore Rooney 35. So people can reach out there. For sure. Um, is there, I got, I got one more yeah, burning ahead, question. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's the one drill that you should, that youth hockey goalies should be doing? Like you should be doing this um, one out of every three practices, uh, regardless if your coach tells you or not, like this is something that you should be working on and this is how you should do it. I have two answers for that. Um, my, uh, main focus growing up was movement and just really fine tuning and increasing my, uh, agility on the ice. And I think, um, it's tough for young goalies to really be interested in doing that, those extra movement drills and just crease work without getting shots. But it's just something that you have to do in order to become a good goalie and have those basic fundamentals moving forward. And so I would always emphasis with the younger goalies I coach to do at least 15, 20 minutes of movement drills in an hour practice, um, obviously incorporating some shots into the at least 10 minutes of that, but really focusing on that. And then as I became older, puck play was huge for me. Um, Going into college, I didn't really have much experience with playing the puck. And then when I got to the national team level, it was really a huge focus. And I was kind of like the quarterback in the defensive zone as their game relies a lot on goalies going behind the net, stopping it and passing it in in order to have an efficient breakout. So I wish I would have started that younger in high school. I think if goalies really um, advance their skill in that area, it'll set them apart and really help their game out. That's awesome advice. I love, I mean, I love both of those and, and hearing that second part too. I think, you know, you're the second goaltender that we've had on that, that has specifically mentioned that that's a, you know, the puck play is a skill that is kind of underdeveloped at the youth game and becomes such an important, you know, the higher levels you up to, it becomes such an important piece of the game. So I think that's, that's a huge piece of advice that the listeners can take, take in. Um, and maybe that's a good, that's a good, uh, you know, nugget to, to leave, uh, leave the listeners and start wrapping this thing up there. So Maddie, I appreciate you coming on. I think we, we touched on a bunch of things from your path in Minnesota high school to the playing for the Bulldogs up in Duluth. And then obviously your time in with team USA and world championships and in the Olympics. And, and like we said at the beginning, I think you're our first, uh, first gold medalist to come on, on the, on the show. So we're, we're honored to have you. And it's been a blast talking with you. And I think you, you dropped a lot of good advice. Um, and learning pieces from, from your journey for the, the listeners. So thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys. Sure. Is that, uh, uh is that your gold medal behind you or no? It is not. It is just my parents love to drop uh, some pictures here. My gold medal is actually, I don't know if I should classify this in my nightstand. <laughs> gotcha. Keeping it close. That's where I'd keep mine. Yeah. <laughs> 
Nice. Well, before we sign off here, uh, Maddie, we do with most of our guests, we, uh, we try to get them to give, give us a let's go to, to end the podcast on a high note. You, you up for that? You ready to give us a let's go? Sure. I'm nervous. <laughs> All right. Danny, you want to show her, show her how it's done first? Give her uh Absolutely. It doesn't Danny's have to be too pro. crazy and goes, go, go as into as you want, but just give us a nice little let's go. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Right. <laughs> nice. Love it. Awesome, Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, uh, it's crazy times, but um, we appreciate you coming on and we'd, we'd love to have you on again. We do some goalie talks with Peter Budai, so maybe we'll have to get the both of you together and talk goaltending because obviously, whenever you're talking goalie stuff, it's good to do that with um, an Olympic gold medalist. So let's go. Anything else, Cameron? That's all I got, Maddie Rooney. Thank you so much for coming on. That was awesome. We look forward to to, uh, talking with you again here soon. Have yourself a good one. All right. Another incredible interview. Thank you again to Maddie Rooney for coming on the show. Episode 19. Go back and hear the whole thing if you like what you've been listening to. Next up, we have Brian Rolston, Stanley Cup champion and the founder of Rolston Hockey Academy. Let's get to it. Originally from Flint, Michigan, spending his youth hockey careers in Detroit before getting drafted to the New Jersey Devils in the first round, 11th overall in the 1991 NHL entry draft. Let's go. Played two years for the Lakes for Lake Superior State, where he scored the game-winning goal and earned most outstanding player honors in the national championship game as a freshman. Represented Team USA in three World Juniors, the World Cup of Hockey, where they won gold, and played in three Olympic games, including a silver medal for in Salt Lake City. 17-year NHL career, including over 1,200 games for the Devils, Avalanche, Bruins, Wild, and Islanders. Let's go, including multiple seasons as an assistant captain for the Wild and Islanders, plus a season as captain for the Minnesota Wild. And oh yeah, won a little thing called the Stanley Cup in 95 with the New Jersey Devils. Let's go. After retiring from the NHL in 2013, he's now the head coach of Little Caesars AAA Youth Program and founder of Rolston Hockey. Brian Rolston, welcome to Let's Go Hockey Podcast. How are you doing today? Great, great. Good to be here, guys. Yeah, we're excited to have you on the on the show here today. I think uh, Danny, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you might be the first Stanley Cup winner we've had on. So I'm, I'm we're honored to have you. We really appreciate. Well, it. thanks. I appreciate it. I, I I like your the goal behind what you guys are doing, and uh, it's awesome. Great message. Awesome. Well, let's. Uh, yeah, that goal of trying to trying to help out coaches and players at the at the youth levels and, and and help improve the game like with that let's let's jump into it you know we, uh, heater jumped in or touched on a couple of your stops along your career but can you give us a little little insight into your hockey career and your background yeah well I played most of my amateur hockey like you had mentioned in the Detroit area uh, obviously and that's where I'm at now with uh, we have a strong culture there in Michigan of youth hockey and the youth sports and obviously after I was done with my career, um, I have kids that play hockey and that was my next thing. I, I catered to my kids and, um, got involved, uh, with the little Caesars, uh, amateur hockey. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun, but, uh, I've had a lot of great coaches throughout my career and, uh, I'd like to give back, uh, some of the, the lessons that I've learned, uh, as a professional and as an amateur. You, know, you had the opportunity to be, uh, an assistant captain and captain in the NHL, for a couple of seasons. Um, can you touch on kind of your thoughts on leadership in regards to hockey and, and maybe some of the, the players when you were younger in your NHL career, the, the leaders you played with and, and kind of what you took away from those guys and took into your own game? Yeah. Um, 
it's always, it's always lead by example. It's never the guy with, you know, that speaks the loudest in the dressing room or talks all the time to the team. Um, some of the leaders that I've had throughout my career, obviously Scott Stevens, I played with Joe Sackick, obviously uh, Patrick Waugh, some of those guys in that dressing room, uh, Forsberg, um, you know, those guys were always the guys that put up in the game. You know, they weren't guys in the locker room, rah-rah. There was nothing about that in their game, but it's, it's the people that go out and demonstrate leadership. Um, that's from my experience. Joe Sackick said very little in the dressing room uh, when I was in Colorado. Same thing with Scotty. He would, he would at times if it really, you know, if you really needed to, but it, he, he spoke loudly when he, when he got on the ice. And when you have a leader, you know, an amateur kid that goes into practice every day and he wants to get better and he's ready for practice and he does every drill at his, at his hardest, you know, those are the, that's the leadership to me. Um, you know, being ready in drills, especially at the amateur level, I'm always, I'm constantly telling kids because I've had them since like, I've done 2012s. Now I've done some 2010s. I had my son from U14 to U16. Be ready. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing t-shirts at the start of the se season. Be ready. You know, <laughs> ready. just in practice, like, get, be ready, you know. Uh, so it, it's that. It's, it's demonstrating on a daily basis, you know, kids that actually want to come in and they want to get better on a daily basis and be ready for practice and and give it all you got in every drill and and uh you know it comes and i always stress to the kids it comes back to your fundamentals uh you know the best guys in the world have unbelievable iq but it also comes back to fundamentals those guys their fundamentals are so spot on and that's what sets them apart one thing that you were for sure known for is you could rip the puck and for me like i've talked with a few coaches and i was just talking to tim jackman uh, the art of like hammering a hockey puck and shooting a slap shot is, is going away. And for whatever reason, what, if it was a buzzword that, you know, getting just a, get a, a, a flick on net is better than nothing. And yes, I know that's true, but when you have the space and you have the time, you got to be able to shoot that hockey puck and, and the harder you can shoot it, obviously with accuracy is going to be, uh, it's going to be huge. And so how, I mean, how did that happen for you? Was it something that you focused on? Was it something that you did or did it, was it a natural thing? And how, how did you become known in the NHL as having one of the hardest shots? You know, you hit that right on the head. It's a perfect explanation is if you do have the time and space, you know, you, you got to pound, you got to pound it. You know, yeah. I know like if I had a two on one and I knew I had time and space and I shot an off leg shot, and I knew it wasn't as hard a shot. I'd come back to the bench and I'd be like, why did, you, why did you shoot like that? And I talk about this all the time with our kids is intensity in your shot. You know, you'll watch kids. They'll just come up and flick it at the net. Now, there's a time, there's a time and place for those kinds of shots where they have to get off quick because guys are so good, especially at the older ages in the NHL, um, at blocking pucks and having good sticks. So mm -hmm. you'll see that all the time. I posted something today on Ralston Hockey. I was showing my shot where we were practicing the Matthew shot where you pull and shoot a full body shot. So I appreciate that uh, sentiment. It's about, about shooting the puck with intensity. Um, you know, my shot was always something that I had. I had a good shot, you know, since I, were, I was young. 
And, uh, you know, you don't get that many opportunities when you're, you're in the big leagues. And I stress that to younger kids. They get a lot of opportunities and you have to make them count because as you get older, they get, you know, they dwindle. You get maybe one a game or two a game. So you have to make it count. Um, it's just something that I've kind of had. And, um, you know, obviously the, the shootout, um, it wasn't a shootout. It was actually a penalty shot. The first time I used it against, uh, Luongo. And, uh, what happened was I got, it was a long shift for me and I was doing a lot of stops and starts. And then I got a breakaway. I was on the penalty kill and I was dead tired. And I got a penalty shot. So I was just like, geez, what am I going to do here? I couldn't even catch my breath. So that's when I shot the, uh, the slap shot. And I went glove low on them. And, uh, and then after that, I started using it more often. And I, other teams sometimes started getting pissed at us. And I remember DF enough come in one time and shot a slap shot, hit our goalie right in the chest. And I was like, oh, here we go. But, uh, and I, I had a funny story about, I played in the all-star game in 2007 and you know, you can, I had my kids with me and my son Ryder was with me and we'd go on the bus and Luongo was our goalie, of course, uh, in two, in that all-star game. So, so all, some of the kids would ride on the bus and, uh, you know, I walked, we walked by Luongo and he, he says to my son, can you believe your dad embarrassed me like that? <laughs> my, my son was probably like, <laughs> I don't know how old he was, seven years old or eight years old. So, what a proud dad uh, I mean, moment, huh? <laughs> uh, 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 no, it's just funny. My son was like, he didn't know what to say. You know, that's Roberto Luongo, you know, starstruck. Yeah. That's awesome. That is a really cool story. And I know that was one of our – Kenny Ryan, obviously, who works for you, he asked in the comments what was the real reason you took the, the penalty shot, slap shot, and it, obviously because the PK. He said hashtag PK shift. So there was obviously something more to it. So we're glad you told that story. Um, what would you say, like, what is one or two things that kids should be doing to, to develop a harder shot? Like, and I know it's tough over a podcast, but if there is like one thing that a kid could do to, to really increase strength or flex or whatever that would be, do you have some advice that a kid could work on? Well, I think, it, I think it's important for kids to have the right flex, obviously. Um, if you're using, you know, like a gab, I know guys now, they use their flexes are you know, 80 to 90, they might even be lower in some guys. I used, because I shot a lot of slap shot, I was at like a 105. And I, I think Chara's using like a 155. But uh, with that being full. <laughs> Just a tree. But, uh, yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's important. And I have a couple you know, tutorials on, the, on our Instagram. But um, it's important to get, I believe it's important to get flex from your blade and your shaft of your stick. If you watch Oveshkin, Ovi's got that big curve, and he just comes over, and they lean on their toe, and it just comes off. Um, you're absolutely right about the strength. I mean, it's very important. You know, uh, kids at a younger age can do a lot of body weight stuff, and you know, right now, you know, as you get older, you got to get stronger because there's a lot of strong people in the, you know, in college, and they're men, and so you have to put the work in for sure, and uh, you know, shoot pucks. And, and try to create good habits in your shooting. Yeah, we've heard from the last couple of weeks of doing this podcast and the, the last few episodes, we've been hearing more and more about video. And I think, you know, it, it's such a, a prominent piece of, of the higher levels and it's it, the trickle down effect is happening, right, in, in youth hockey. And I think it's such a valuable tool for coaches and, and players to learn from. 
um, that I'm excited to see that more and more programs are adopting that at, you know, not just saving it for that, that college, like once you reach colleges, you know, it's becoming more ingrained. Um, so let me switch gears here real quick on, yeah, you've got, uh, if I'm correct, you have four, four sons. Is that right? That's right. And so with those players, um, you've got at least one of them that's going to be going to play for your former coach at Notre Dame. I mean, that's gotta be kind of a cool, uh, cool thing that, you know, it's not, not every day you get a father and son who get the, the opportunity to play for the same coach. Um, talk about that decision-making process. I know, I know your, your couple of your sons have been having some success at the youth hockey levels and um, that decision, like was, what was some of the main factors that made him want to go to Notre Dame? Well, uh, obviously it's a, it's an unbelievable school, great campus. Um, the tradition's amazing. Um, you know, I think that, um, and sometimes, uh, you know, Notre Dame will get a bad rap about, uh, and Jeff, how, uh, how he plays with such structure. And, you know, I always argue that, that, uh, you know, NHL teams are so structured and why wouldn't you want that for a player, you know, but, um, no, I think that Notre Dame's a great choice for my son. I think he made the decision, um, obviously a great program and, and Jeff, uh, Jeff's a great coach. He's, uh, he's demanding, he's disciplined, uh, you know, all the kinds of things that you want for, for your son to, to play there. But, uh, you know, ultimately it was his decision and, and, uh, to play there. And hopefully we get through this, uh, pandemic here so that college hockey can start next year, but, um, super excited for him and, uh, for him to play for Jeff and, and Paul Pooley is the assistant coach who I had at Lake Superior State as well. So um, two guys I'm very familiar with and, and uh, we're excited for, for Ryder. For sure. Is there, you want to touch on your other kids and kind of just what they're up to? Yeah, I have, well, I have one other one that's playing uh, 2005 for Little Caesars and that's the team that I'm coaching uh, this year. It'll be the U15 Little Caesars team. And uh, um, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, a project and uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm starting, I'm basically starting over where I started with Ryder and now I'm taking my 05 son through the same kind of process. So uh, it's yeah. a lot of fun and, and uh, I'm in it for my kids and, and for the development of, of youth hockey in, in the Detroit area. I think they've done a really good job and, uh, but I think we can do better. Yeah. I love hearing um, when guys like yourself that are still sticking around the game and, how lucky the other kids are that are the same age as your son, just because I, I kind of got caught in the pool with my childhood best friend. His dad was Jimmy Johnson. And um, then my other kid on our team, Alf Samuelson, were my two coaches growing up. And so I know if I didn't have them, I wouldn't have went anywhere in the game of hockey. And so it, it's awesome to see. And, and we had those two coaches all the way up because, you know, I just happened to be in that same age. So I know the, the impact that you're having, not only on your other kids, but, but the, but the kids that are surrounded with them is, is uh, extremely fortunate for everybody involved. So just as a fan of the game, thank you for giving back and thinking about that. What, what's some advice that you have for youth hockey players that are aspiring to, you know, play junior hockey, play college or major junior, whatever that choice is. And then ultimately um, getting to the NHL. Well, it's, it's a, it's a day by day process, right? It's, you know, it's not a sprint to get anywhere. And a lot of times, and unfortunately this happens, I've seen it in youth hockey where, uh, you know, parents are, get excited and, and, uh, 
you know, think it's a sprint to get somewhere and it's never a sprint, you know, it's a marathon and you just have to take it day by day. And if you love the game, I, and you're willing to put the work in and, and kind of be coachable and, and be, you know, just love the game. I think that is so important because as you get older, it becomes more than just a game. You have to work at it to stay on top. And um, I think that, and you can, I think you can see that as a coach, the kids that really love it and want to learn and, uh, and, and get better. So I'd say just a day-to-day process of of working hard and, and, you know, following uh, the love of the game. Yeah, I think, you know, I think you're exactly right. We've heard that from a few of our, our different guests, but I think your your addition of, of that it's a process is such an important message. There's so many parents uh, and players that think that, you know, they, they try to rush the process and, um, to ha- you know, you talked about starting the process over with with your, your son at the 15 level for the next couple of years and you're looking at it from a, a multi-year um look versus like, Hey, just this weekend tournament that we're trying to win, or just this, this showcase that I'm going to. I think that that focus on that, it's a long-term process, such a, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people that want instant gratification, but, uh, and want to win on the short term, but winning on the long term, you know, whatever that win might be is going to be a, a, a big thing at the youth level that I think a lot of a message, a lot of people need to hear. Um, well, let's talk about the other side behind the bench advice for youth hockey coaches. Um, you know, you're coaching the youth level now and, and you're, you've got sons involved in the game at the youth hockey level. What would your, you know, this is an opportunity to talk to the other youth hockey coaches at various levels. What would your advice to them be in regards to player development? Well, at the younger levels, and we've touched on it uh, throughout this podcast, it's, you know, continue getting as many touches in a game and, and keeping the kids. You know, when I first took my U14 team, I wanted to, have high tempo practices, high tempo, lots of touches, not a lot of standing around. Uh, I thought that, I think that's very important. I think I did a decent job with that group um, in order to to get their skill development where we wanted it to be. Um, The fundamentals of the game uh, are so important and and you have to be, you have to be hitting those hard. Um, Whether it's your skating, your shooting, your passing. I mean, you see it at all levels, but you know, where got kids are just passing just to pass, not passing to the tape and try to all those little details of the game, try to really to hammer on. And, and you had touched on it about their practicing power plays all the time. I would, I would limit that as much as possible. I, especially at the younger ages. Um, and I limit it in my practices as well, because I just don't think for, cause I really think long-term for the kids. And, and I think that the high tempo, the skating, the passing, um, and, and details of the game are, are the most important, especially, I mean, obviously at the younger, young levels, but 14 through 16. And, um, you know, I've gone through the process and seen where some of these kids have ended up and, um, you know, more skill development would, would have helped them uh, play at higher levels. Yeah. And I, I think of it too is like, as a coach at the youth level, your job is to prep these players to get to the next level. And the fact is power play in a peewee looks different than a power play for a midget triple A team. And if you're just practicing that peewee power play over and over again, you're not giving them the skills to, to get to a, a midget team and have success in the power play. Cause they all they did was come off the half wall and skate around 15 different people and shoot and score. Like that's a different yeah. type of skill set than you need at 
different levels. And so I think that's huge advice because when you, when you teach these skills at every level, you'll have those skills when you don't need, you don't need a PB power play anymore when you're playing for, you know, for college hockey or whatever it is. So I think that's huge advice. And with that, we're going to start to kind of wrap this up and we appreciate your time. Is there, is there any kind of final thoughts or anything that uh, you want to get out there so people can really take away from this podcast? No, I think we've kind of touched it all. I mean, um, at the amateur level, at fundamentals is what it comes back to. And being able to, to uh, give kids details in those respects is huge at the, the younger levels. And obviously, as they get older, their game can evolve and learn more about some of the other things that are very important to them. So I think we've, we've touched on most of them. And uh, it's a pleasure uh, to be on the show. And um, you guys are doing uh, great work. And I hope you guys continue to grow. Well, thank you. I mean, we really appreciate that. It's an honor to have you on. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully a lot of coaches and players will listen to this because I think that, you know, we've touched on a lot of important points. Um, before we let you go, uh, anyone that's, that's listening, we, we can, we, we can find Brian on, uh, at Rolston hockey on Instagram. Is there, is there anywhere else that, uh, you would direct people to, to, to be able to find information from you or is that the main source? And, uh, Rolston hockey Perfect. Well, we'll, uh, we'll put those to uh, the link and the information about the Instagram page in our, our show notes. So, so uh, players, parents, and coaches can, can find you and see what you're up to after that. But uh, Brian Rolston, thank you so much for coming on. It was, a, it was an awesome time talking with you. I think that was a great, uh, great episode with a lot of uh, strong information and advice. So we really appreciate you coming to join us today. Hey, no problem, yeah. guys. Best of luck to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Before we let you go, can we, get a, uh, can we get a let's go from you? Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Now we're going to jump to episode 24 with, at the time, Pittsburgh Penguin, now a current Toronto Maple Leaf, Patrick Marlowe, future Hall of Famer. Let's get to it. After scoring 199 points in the WHL, he was drafted second overall into the NHL by the San Jose Sharks, debuting the next year immediately after that, and then was named team captain in 2003-2004. Let's go. Holds multiple San Jose Shark records, including all-time leaders in goal, power play goal, shorthanded, game-winning. The list goes on and on and on. A three-time NHL All-Star who's also represented Team Canada in multiple gold medal championships, let's go, has racked up 1,188 points in over 1,700 NHL games for San Jose, Toronto, and Pittsburgh, the fifth player ever to play in over 1,700 games. Patrick Marlowe, welcome to the Let's Go Hockey Podcast. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Excited <laughs> yeah. about this. Yeah, we're, uh, we're very excited to have you on. It's, uh, it's going to be... Uh, It'll be a good one. I know it. I know it. But uh, yeah, we appreciate coming on. But let's jump right into it. Danny hit a couple of the highlights of your career. But let's dive in. If you can give us a little uh, insight into your your background and kind of where you where you came up from. Let's start there. Yeah. So I uh, grew up on a, on a small farm, uh, hours south of Swift Current, Saskatchewan, uh, in Canada. So I played my most of my minor hockey just in and around uh, Aneroid. Uh, most of the time we didn't have enough kids in one small town, so we'd have to join with a, another small town. So, uh, Android and Vanguard was the name of the other team where we join, uh, join forces and, and make a team. And, um, when I got to the age of 12, uh, I started playing in Swift Current. So it was like an hour drive 
from the farm to go to practice or to games. Um, played in Swift Current for three, four years, and then I moved on to the to the Seattle Thunderbirds. So I lived. I had to move into Swift Current when I was fourteen, to, and I live with my grandma because uh, there was a rule where you could only have five out of town centers. So Swift Current, and then like a radius of sixty miles. If you were in that, uh, you could go play there. But I was the only kid from Anoride, so there's other small towns that had like two or three kids. So I was the odd man out. I, if I wanted to play, I had to move in. So uh, I was pretty fortunate that I could live with my grandma for a couple of years there. You've, you've worn the C in the NHL for years and years and years. You were an assistant captain, and um, I'm sure you're a leader in the locker room that you're at right now at Pittsburgh. Uh, what's that been like, and, and what are some of the things that you do or, or you see other captains doing that? That is the reason why you're you're so established in the in the National Hockey League. Well, yeah, when I came in uh, to the league, I had some really great mentors. I think uh, I think pretty much most of the team when I came in was uh, early 30s or late 20s, and um, they were all like well-established NHL players and, and great leaders. And what, the biggest thing I learned from a lot of them was uh, just to put in the work. Um, you know, be very professional about it when you're at the rink, you're there to work, you're there to, you know, have a good time, but work work comes first. And that was one of the, the key things. And um, one of the, one teammate I had well, closer to becoming captain was Adam Graves. And uh, some of the advice he gave to me, we he lived by me, so we'd be carpooling all the time, talking about, you know, different things, this and that. And he said, you know, he saw it before I did. He goes, no, one day you're you're going to be captain. So he goes, and when that when that happens, he said, he, he said, don't change a thing. Just be who you are. Put in the work. Uh, lead by example. And, you know, speak up when 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 you have to. But he goes, just don't. He said, don't change a thing. So um, having him tell me that early on in my career, you know, I kind of <laughs> blew him off. Like, hey, he did. You know, what's this guy doing? <laughs> He's trying blowing hot air, but. Uh, you know, those words have stuck with me over the years. And uh, that's what I look for for other players that are, that are leaders in, in the locker room. You know, what, you know, what are they doing on the ice? What do they do? Uh, you know, talk, talk's one thing, but if you're backing it up on the ice, then by your actions, even off the ice in the weight room, things like that, that, that holds a lot more weight than, than just somebody who gets up and does the raw, raw talking, but somebody who actually goes talks and then goes out and backs it up. Yeah. I think, um, you know, obviously there's lots of different types of leaders, but ultimately exactly what you're touching on is such a, a huge key. And I mean, that's of a lot of interest to me is that, is that someone that's had uh, the success that you've had um, and hearing you say that he's just putting in the work and, you know, the level of consistency you've had across your career. And um, you know, maybe we can talk about that a little bit more about, um, you know, like in those opportunities, you mentioned Adam Graves and in, in the opportunities to be in some of the other locker rooms and, and throughout your careers, maybe when you weren't necessarily wearing a C, um, some of the other players that 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 were leaders around you as well, and, and some some of the takeaways that you you took from them throughout your career. Yeah, there's no shortage of, of great leaders. I the, played with Mike Ricci. He was, you know, obviously everybody knows that how hard he worked. How he, you know, always blood or sweat, blood and sweat. <laughs> Who knows what else was on his jersey every game in and game out. Uh, who else was there? I mean, uh, I, had, I lived with Kelly Rudy my first year, which was huge for me. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to my first year, so I'm gonna really date myself. But Todd Gill was our captain, Murray Craven, Tony Granado, Gary Suter, uh, Billy Holder, Doug Bodger, 
Um, you know, Owen Nolan was on the team. Uh, yeah, I mean, all these these great players. Uh, I learned a lot from them, but also being uh, going to like a Team Canada where you know Scotty Niedermeyer was was the captain. You know, heading into overtime after the U.S. tied it up in the gold medal game. You know, just the the calming presence he had in the locker room right before that that next overtime. Just you know knowing that we were all in it together we couldn't change anything that just happened you know giving up a goal late it was uh we were still in control of you know our destiny destiny if uh just stuck with it and you know that was a very calming presence at that time yeah it's interesting to hear that the calming calming presence in the locker room i like i like hearing that the um that kind of leads me into my next question about that whether it's necessarily the the leaders or, or the teams you've been involved with throughout your career and and kind of what some of the different different locker room dynamics are with those team cultures some of the ones that are a little bit, uh, you know, there's lots of different variations out there. There's lots of different personalities and how they all click. And, and, you know, over the course of your career, whether it's on team Canada or in the NHL, like if you could touch on some of the teams that have been maybe a little more successful than the others and kind of what set them apart from a team culture standpoint. Yeah, I think here uh, in San Jose, I think when things started to really turn around for the franchise, we're obviously when we got, uh, Joe Thornton, um, but then uh, you know bringing in uh, Todd McClellan after he just came from Detroit and they'd been winning there. He he came in with his coaching staff, and you know he set he set the foundation, he set the bar, he set the everything for us. And uh, you know we had at that time we were you know a really good team. We had really good players, and I think he just took us to another level, and everybody bought in. And I think that was the biggest thing. Um, you got to have everybody on the same page, uh, willing to pull on the same rope, uh, do play the system to a T. Um, and that group that we had, obviously, uh, myself, uh, Jumbo Joe, who everybody knows it loves the, you know, um, loves to have a good time, loves the, the, to be around the guys. But I think a lot of things get missed when people say like, he's loves to have a good time. But when it comes, when that puck drops, it's, he's all business and, um, sure, there's moments for for some some fun during games, this and that. But he he don't you know don't take that the wrong way. He wants to win re- with with everything he's got. So um, yeah, those teams were just fun. I mean, we getting that winning mentality. We would go into games just knowing we were we were going to win, or we we're just there was a good chance that uh, you know if we're late in the game. You know, things are going to go our way and. Um, and being able to play alongside, uh, you know, Joe for a number of years, it was great for me because I knew I was going to get two or three good looks at an empty net or, <laughs> or <laughs> so, um, it was just fun being, being on, on teams that know how to play the right way. You know, you're coming to the rink, you know, you're going to put in a good effort. You know, everybody, you know, your teammates are going to put in, you don't have to, you don't have to come to the rink thinking, Oh my God, I wonder if we're going to win the night or this or that. It's, it's, you know, everybody's going to work their butts off and going to give yourselves a good chance of winning. You know, it, it's, you know, for fans around, around the league, it, it's real obvious that you have a special relationship with some of the younger um, superstar players in the league, like, like Austin Matthews and, and Mitch Marner. And, um, you know, I think obviously there's, there's a reason that there's a lot that, that those younger players are able to, to learn from, from experienced players like yourself. What about like fl- flipping it the other way around? Any takeaways you had, whether it's from a training level, or like what these guys are doing that is is different than than like what you did when you came in at their age. Yeah, it definitely is. I think uh, I actually I've, I've gone and done 
skills comp skills stuff with both of them uh and just some of the stuff that they can do that they've been doing for years is pretty amazing and i think you got to keep pushing yourself like i said earlier so even now i go out with them and uh, they're doing all these different drills they're they're on this edge that edge you know they're spinning around especially mitch he's so good on his and his skates so is awesome but the, when i went with when i went out with mitch he was doing these certain strides down the ice with his with his uh with his trainer and you know i took me a while to get it you know you, but you're getting it you're getting out of your comfort zone you may not use it you may use it but at least you're you're working on something new you're working on your brain you're working on your your legs and um and it's it's not the same thing you've been doing all these years so it's it's exciting and new so it makes it uh you know keeps you hungry and then you see these guys come in and they're flying around they're stick telling like nobody's business and uh you know like you I, for me i'm like well you know how are these guys you know how are they doing it what do they do and just to get to talk to them and pick their brain you know that they're, they're growing up different than what i did i'm i was stuck in a barn they were probably stuck they were you know had trainers and, and things like that or, right. had, or had somebody helping them out and there's more obviously and there's more information available now than there was before so they you know they're doing homework they're looking for new drills to do at home or or on the ice and um so just always trying to, you know, yeah. trying to keep it fun. Maybe if you can, I mean, you kind of already mentioned it, but I, I wanted to see the kind of what you, you talk about, whether it's with your sons individually or, or with the team collectively, like some of the major takeaways when you're the coach um, that you've taken away, you know, we, we touched on the fun and, and that, but like um, if there's any, you know, from the game, like things that you really want your, your teams to focus on um, in, in training and practice, um, to help them develop as a young hockey player? Yeah, I think I always find myself talking to my boys or even mostly my, my oldest one right now because he's really into it and, and wants to continue on is uh, I'll be giving him advice and I'm like, hey, that's good advice I should take. <laughs> I should take it too. <laughs> but uh, I think I, I might have said it a little bit earlier. I just, in practice, I want them, even if it's a drill they've done a hundred times to, to do it the best that they can. Uh, to get better, to get better at it, uh, to get better somehow, and especially in practice. And then, you know, when you put in the work in practice, games are where you just let it flow. You let it, you go out, go out there, have fun um, within your team structure. Obviously, the little kids they're they're all over the place. They're they're having fun, and you try and teach them their positions uh, when they're younger. But the, the older one, I I want him to. I tell him that he, you know, you put your best foot forward on that day. You got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror after and say, "Hey, did I did I give it my all today? Did I give myself a best my the best chance to be recognized or to be uh, helpful to the team?" And uh, for me, that I think that what that all comes down to is putting in the work, putting in that that effort uh, for your for yourself, but also for your team. Yeah, I would I would agree, and. Um... Camera kind of alluded to it earlier, just just the stuff with online now and how um, what we're doing here, um, the idea of just doing the work. And uh, like we, I put out hockey drills for kids through my, my program um, daily and it's not fancy. It's not this crazy stuff. It's just like, here's the drill, do the work, put it in and let's get better. And at the end of the day, you can tell that you're getting better. And so I would agree with you on that. And then um, there's a whole nother side of that, right? Like there's the coach's side. And now that um, obviously you, you haven't coached at a 
an NHL level, but I'm sure some days it might feel like that for you. But, and now that you've coached at the youth level, is there, is there any advice that you'd like to pass along just to our, our youth hockey coaches, junior hockey coaches, whoever is listening that would help them be a better suited for that position? Yeah, I think, um, I always, so I, I tell my boys and I, for myself too, I'm like, uh, what do you think, what do you think your coach is looking for in a player? What do you think he wants in a player? And I go through certain things. Do you think he wants you to, you know, show up on time? Does he want you to do the drill the right way? Does he want you goofing around all the time? I mean, there's a time and place to have fun. You got to, it can't be on his time. It's got to be on your time. Um, and all these things that you do to, to show your coach that you're re- ready and willing to play, willing to put in the work is only going to let the coach know, Hey, this kid wants to play. He's doing what I ask of him. I'm going to work with them. I'm going to, you know, put in the time because I see that he's putting in the time. I'm going to give him some ice time, you know, some extra ice time here or there. And, uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to take that extra time to, to work with you. If they see that you're interested and that you want to learn that you're, that you want to get better. Awesome. I think that's great advice for the coaches. I love that. Um, Patrick, as we start, wrapping it up here. I think we've had a ton of, of good content, a ton of good questions and, uh, or not questions, but advice for a lot of the listeners. Uh, but you know, one thing that we always do is we open up, uh, the, on our social media, on our Instagram questions when we have upcoming guests. So we had a handful of different questions. We picked a couple. Uh, so if you don't mind, we might kind of just do a little rapid fire, do a couple of them for you. Um, so this one at, uh, G Morin S K S X S who's the hardest working player you've ever played against or played with and what made him stand out from the rest. And it kind of touches back to, you're talking about putting in the work and the hard work. So I think that's a, that's a good question by, by, uh, yeah. by that listener. Yeah. It's, it's you got to pick just one. Just one. <laughs> tough one. Tough one. <laughs> it's going to be tough. I think, uh, You know, probably the, both Joes that I played with here, Joe Thornton and Joe Pavelski, they both, uh, they put in the work nice, but they also put the work in off the ice uh, in, the, in the summers, getting, you know, in the weight room, things like that. But also the way they, they thought hockey and they were, they've been really passionate about the game for a number of years. But uh, yeah, just, just thinking about it. Um, you know, doing the right things in the offseason, taking care of your body, uh, and then when it comes game time, just putting it all out there. And those those two guys probably best exemplify that. Plus, it doesn't hurt to be the world's best uh, at tipping pucks like Pavelski is. Well, and that's something that's something you I would see him working on daily. Um, yeah. Him and him and Brent Burns, uh, they would they would line pucks up and they would shoot, and you know that there that. A lot of that just didn't happen by accident. They were working on it, both of them, uh, in practices and before games and things like that. That's the and that's the biggest piece of advice because, I mean, as a as someone watching them play hockey, you just see him tipping in goals and and celebrating out out on the on the rink. But what you don't see, and thankfully, that's the beauty of social media is you you are starting to see a little bit more of that behind the scenes stuffs. But that that's huge advice to know that those two players they're not the best at what they do by accident. They didn't just fall onto it. And so that's cool to hear that. Yeah. Um, 
Second, second question this is kind of our last question that we'll, we'll toss out to you here is uh, from Corey Lieberman. Um, and this one I'm kind of interested in, buddy. He asks, is it, is it true you take off all of your pads between periods and jump in the cold tub? It is true. I, uh, between the second and third uh, period, I'll get undressed and I'll hop in the shower and then I'll hop in the cold tub, cool the body down, and then I'll get dressed back mm-hmm. up right before the coach comes back in for his uh, speech. So I, I can get about, probably about four minutes in the cold tub before I have to get out and get dressed again. So When did, uh, when did uh, you start doing that? Probably about eight or nine years ago. So funny story, like when I first started – uh, I think Tony Granado, he would get undressed and shower, and I'm I'm sitting in the locker and I, in the locker room in my stall, and I'm 18, 19 years old. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What is this? What am, what am I getting myself into? There's guys getting undressed, hopping in the showers, doing stretches, doing this, you know. <laughs> on and here I'm just you know just waiting my turn to get on the ice, you know, uh, playing third or fourth <laughs> line back then. So, but I just uh, I don't know. It must have been on. I don't know how it happened. I got into cold tubs and, you know, reading about uh, recovery and things like that. And that was one of the things. If you, your body temperature's cooler, your muscles fire faster. I read that somewhere and I was like, all right, let's give it a shot. And uh, when I do it, I feel like when I start the third period, I feel like I'm starting the game in the first period that I'm full of energy and uh, nice and ready to go. That's, uh, that's awesome. I wasn't expecting that to be a true story, but uh, you, you must have getting undressed and dressed to a science. Is there, is there a little superstition there too? Like, do you have a, a couple superstitions in your pregame or postgame stuff that you do? Um, no, more routine. Like I'll, I'll start getting dressed at, around the same time, but I don't, I don't have to be at, at the exact same time. Um, I don't put my left on or right on. I probably do it without thinking, but yeah, I'm not mentally thinking, okay, left shin guard, right shin guards. I'm just getting dressed. So. Um, yeah, I find if you find a routine, uh, it's pretty easy to get it, keep that routine going. But if you, if it's a superstition, then that's when you get into the games personally, that's what I think so. Hey, what are, so you're talking about going into the cold tubs between periods and, and that, that makes me wonder, um, what are some of the other guys you've played with it, between periods, routines, or you know, whether they help them focus? That's maybe something that maybe is a little on the norm or something that's a little out of the norm too, that we out on the outside looking in might not realize. Um, well, I think there's, there's some guys like, I know Scotty Hannon, he would, he was a shower guy. He would get undressed and shower. He probably did it before I did. Um, uh, I think some, sometimes guys are, they'll go get like a piece of, if they're hungry, they'll get a piece of toast or a gels. But a lot of guys have, uh, you know, either some pill, uh, some kind of pills in their stall, or some gummies, some from Fast Energy. Um, yeah. So it's it's kind of routine stuff, but uh, trying to think if there's anything off the wall. But no, uh, cold cold tub jumping in the cold tub pretty much takes the cake right now. <laughs> I think uh, like uh, so we I played with Derek John. He's the he's the son of Jay Johnson who played. He okay. played for the Coyotes and. Uh, so it's all starting to make sense now because all of a sudden one day Derek in between a period would get all of his stuff off and go in the shower and we're like, what are you doing? And uh, I'm sure he got it from, from his dad or somebody in that coyote locker room. That was just, they did it and that was their thing. And so that's, uh, that's funny to hear that a lot of guys in the NHL are doing that. 
Well, I think with that, I think we can start uh, closing it up here, Patrick. We really appreciate you coming on uh, the episode with us. Uh, any any final thoughts you want to leave to the the listeners, the players, parents, or coaches out there? Um, I think just most important thing is what uh, whatever you're working on or or doing, trying to get better at, is to make it fun. Um, don't get down on yourself. I know. I I always talk to my my boys about. Uh, you know, somehow want to slam their stick if they miss miss pass or miss a shot and this and that. It's, it's not going to help you. It's just move on. You know, get better. Things didn't go right that time. Use uh, use that energy in a positive way and and keep moving forward. Awesome. I love that advice. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Before we uh, before we sign off here, we, we we try to get our guests to give us a, a let's go. Can you just fire it up to sign it off here with a let's All right, go? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. All thank right. you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. That was episode 24 with Patrick Marlowe. If you like what you heard, there's even more to that interview. We had to cut out a lot of all of these. Go back and listen. Make sure you give us a like, comment, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And to finish out the show today, we are going to play episode 25 with Marty Pavlich, four-time Stanley Cup winner, with the Detroit Red Wings between 1947 and 1957. This interview, we talked about it at the top of the show, one of our favorites, and we are actually going to play this one in its entirety. So please enjoy this, and thank you guys so much for listening. Originally hailing from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, Canada, he is a four-time Stanley Cup winner, four-time NHL All-Star for the Detroit Red Wings from 1947 to 1957. Back in the days of the original six, old-time hockey. Over his 10-year NHL career, he played in 634 games, compiling 252 points and 454 penalty minutes, plus played in another 91 NHL playoff games. Today, we've got hockey legend, all-around fantastic guy, and truly passionate ambassador for our game, Marty Pavlich. Thanks for coming on the Let's Go Hockey podcast. How are you doing today, Marty? I'm doing just fine. That was a, quite an introduction there. That was very good. <laughs> well, we gotta we gotta line you out a little bit, Marty. Gotta let everybody know that we got uh, everything you did to help our game and 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 be uh, a legend back in the uh, in the days of the original six with the Detroit Red Wings. Well, you know what? It was a life life. You know, a, I I spoke at a lot of banquets and, and I I tell a lot of young kids and stuff. You know, you gotta. I always set goals in life. Right from, and I knew at six and a half, seven years of age, what I wanted to be, what I wanted to be. And I wanted to be a hockey player. And I knew that. I, that was always in my mind. In my mind. I skated, skated, and skated and, uh, in my hometown, played school hockey, played major hockey, played junior hockey all in one year. And, uh, and then when the Red Wings scouted me when I was 16, but they said, oh, you're too young. You're too young to leave home. I said, Ma, I'm going. <laughs> this is my chance. So when the Red Wings scouted me, and thank God I was a Red Wings fan at the time. Because usually kids from Canada are either Toronto or Montreal. But I always liked Detroit because we were only 350 miles away from Detroit. And uh, then I played my junior junior hockey in golf, which was their major team in Canada. And I was like, the first camp I went to, there was about 40 kids there, and I said, oh, what am I doing here? So then all of a sudden after the first week, I said, well, I eliminated about 25 of them. I said, I think I made the team. So after that, I became 
captain of the team, and, and, and then they brought me up when I was 19, 19 with the Red Wings. That's awesome. Um, before we go too deep into your Red Wings career and your NHL career and your four-time Stanley Cup winner, um, tell us a little bit more in depth about what you're talking about as far as, like, before you joined the Red Wings, what was, what was your training like and what were practices like and what were uh, pregame rituals like uh, in junior hockey and, and a little bit before that in your youth hockey? Well, junior hockey, you know, when we were at, we were in junior hockey, you know, that was major junior. There was kids from all across Canada, uh, you know, because uh, the, they, they draft them, and they draft them with different. In those days, they used to uh, go into a town, like they'd go to the Sioux or go someplace else uh, in Canada, and they would sponsor a team. So those players kind of, kind of belonged to the Red Wings, you know, and that's the way they did it those days. So we had, we had uh, quite a few kids in the, you know, with training camp was training camp, just a lot of skating and, and, and so forth. But we all had to either go to school or uh, have a job, which they would arrange for us to have. And uh, mm. we would we would uh, practice every evening, you know, at, at maybe 7 o'clock or so. And then we'd skate for a couple of hours and work out. And uh, did nothing unusual, not like they do today. I mean, we didn't have any equipment uh, uh weightlifting equipment or stuff like that in the dressing room. That was kind of the oddball thing to do. We never thought we had to do that. But as I've gotten older and watched these kids today, that's all they do. You know, a lot of the guys, they come out of, they come out of that game and they get right on the bike for 45 minutes and they do other things. So it's a different, different era. We're totally a different era than what I played. But, you know, we had a lot of good hockey players. We had a lot of tough hockey players because we came out of the Second World War, we came out of the Depression, and uh, everybody was uh, wanted to be, wanted to get ahead in life. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it's you know the old time hockey. I mean, that was that was a you, you played back in the day when that was a real man's game, Marty, and it was it was tough back then. You mentioned the Great Depression, World War, um, but I mean, you you played for ten years for the Detroit Red Wings. You. Right. you Put up some, you know, you put up some big numbers when you were playing for them too, offensively. Um, but I know that you know you're talking about being tough, and I know that your one of your main roles as uh, the Wings, it was a big part of why they were so successful in your career, was you were really that that defensive forward, that that checking role and, and penalty kill role, and, and kind of that, you know, really making it hard for the other team to play against. Can you talk a little bit about what your role was for the Red Wings? Oh, and oh, oh sure. Sure. You know, you know what happened was when I played junior hockey, uh, I was I was on the first line, and you know I was scoring goals. I would get you know twenty five, thirty goals a year. And uh, when I came to the Red Wings, you know, and uh, when they brought me up, uh, you know, the Tommy Ivan was our coach at that time, and he came in one day and he says, you know, I want to make a checking line. I want you guys to check the top lines in the league, and that was my job for 14 times a year for 10 years to check Rocket Grishard from the Montreal Canadiens. And he was the greatest goal scorer of all time, as far as I'm concerned. And I had to slow him down, and I did a pretty good job. Did a pretty good job. i got to tell you a kid's story. Uh, one time, he was coming around the net, and I hit him really good, and I happened to cut him, you know, by accident. I didn't run into that purpose. But he went, uh, just tell you how tough they were in those days. So then 
he got mad and he got a he got a he got a penalty and, and I was out there killing the penalty. Uh, we got a penalty and I was out killing the penalty and then he 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 came along and out of the penalty box and at that time I was just back in our end and Bob Golden was throwing the puck up to me and he said Marty look out and I ducked because I cut him he was so mad he just scraped the top of my head with the stick. <laughs> and, you know, if he would have hit me at the forehead, he would have killed me right there. And I said, boy, oh, boy, this has got to stop. i got to do something different with this guy. So every once in a while, as the years went along, I started to score a goal against him once in a while. And I'd say, Rocket, look out. I'm hot tonight. And he started to laugh. And we became the best of friends. <laughs> That's an awesome story. And it's it's yeah, crazy you know, to think. you got to think, there's, there's only 120 of us. In the league, there were only six teams. You knew everybody. You knew you knew when they got up. You know the when they went to bed. You know what they ate. You, I mean, they had a book on everybody. You, I mean, it was a different. I mean, the checking was so different in our day. We, we had a we had a shut down teams. There was there weren't many games that were nine nothing or six five or seven two two one three two four three maybe you know so forth and so on. There, there were some good teams, and of course. We got at that time. We we started to come in as we uh, come in as kids. Uh, Gordy Howe, Ted Lindsay, and Red Kelly, the four of us, came in and they used to call us the Dead End Kids. And that was a whole bunch of comedy guys that were on television, or not on television, but the movies. And the four of us were always together because we were the young ones, and we had the older guys come back from the war years. So we had a tremendous mixture in Detroit. It was unbelievable those ten years. I would argue, like a lot of people say, you know, the game was obviously different. There was way less teams back then. And for me, my argument is, for me, that sounds harder. Like, because you're playing against guys that you know so well. You know where they're going to turn. You know how they're going to shoot. You're going to know all these things. And so, I mean, what what was that kind of like just day in and day out? Like, you didn't really have a night off where maybe you didn't know somebody. And, and was, there, was there a lot of strategy that went into? Oh, like, what was well, a pre pre-game meeting like? Well, we always had a meeting. We had a meeting before the game. We, we, matter of fact, we had a meeting at, uh, in the morning on the day of the game. We had to come down the rink, check our sticks. See, our sticks were all taped well and stuff and so forth. Our skates were sharp and all that stuff. I mean, we had trainers to do that, but we taped our own sticks. That's the way every player, hockey player, likes to do. And, uh, yeah, we, we always had meetings that we knew. We knew certain guys did certain things, and we knew a certain goaltender did certain things. And yeah. we discussed those, and we started a strategy how we were going to play. And we'd go out there and, and kind of perform. I mean, you'd figure, you know, you got, as I said, you played, you played uh, each team 14 times a year. You're bound to get to know them. You know, you just... And there was good hockey players in those days and a lot of tough hockey players in those days. You know, that a lot of guys that are playing today would not have been able to play in our day. I mean, not that I'm knocking them down today, but it's a totally a different game today. It, it, it's a European game today. It's not a North American game anymore. All it is today is, is skate, skate, skate for 45 seconds. 45 seconds, yeah. and they want you to come on. All right? Our day, I was out there for two minutes. Yeah. And I would say, um, I, I just had this conversation with somebody about like, if you were to pull someone like yourself or the rocket and say, could they play in today's age? And, and I always bring it back. Like, 
could somebody that plays today play back then? And I, to me, it's no way. Like the game, the game was different. It, it was played in a, in a different style and a different yeah. mindset and it created Perfect. what we have now. And so I don't know, it's just, it's more of a comment than a question, but um, definitely, definitely was a man's game there. And if you weren't um, ready at all times, I feel like you, you might get hit in the head with a, a rocket slap shot or something so <laughs> but you know uh, as far as speed i mean i could have skated with these guys today i had enough speed i, I know that i not how did that and i just i'm one of those guys that i hate to lose i hate to lose no matter what i do and, and that's the kind of guys we had you know you beat us today you better be better tomorrow because we're going to kick your butt tomorrow because we're that type we hate to lose and that's the type of team we had yeah, I mean, you you figure uh, the team we had in 51-52, we beat Montreal, we beat Toronto four straight, we beat Montreal four straight in the playoffs, and Sachuk didn't allow one goal in Detroit. We could have played all summer, that team, because you got to have that chemistry. you got to have that chemistry. you got to have those guys that are wanting to win. And it's totally different today. I mean, actually, these guys don't see, they sometimes they don't see some other teams the whole year. Marty, you said, you said, I love it that you're saying you could skate with these guys today. And I believe it because I'll tell you what, I, this morning before our call, I found a video online of you getting a shorthand, you're penalty killing and you're getting a shorthanded breakaway and you're flying through the neutral zone and then score. And I showed my wife and she was like, holy cow, Marty can move. And I, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me, especially because the equipment was so different and, you know, heavier. And oh, yeah. I'd love to see you skate in today's equipment, but uh, tell me about that goal that you scored. Do you, I got to tell you, that's, I was going to tell you that. I got to tell you that's a that's kind of a cute story. You know, we're we're warming up. I'm, I kill I kill most of the penalties. I kill most of the penalties on the team along with Tony last week at Scooby. And but we were we were warming up that night. That night we were playing Montreal in the playoffs. I think it was the second game or first game, whatever it was. And Johnny Wilson was next to me. And I said, Johnny, we were shooting. I said, Johnny, where the hang would you put the puck if you got a breakaway on Pallant? He says, Marty, we used to beat him up high in junior hockey, up high. Well, you know what? I've been watching Harvey and Boom Boom on the points for the Montreal Canadiens. And they were, and I was killing the penalty. And I said, uh, one of these days, Harvey always fakes the shot that he throws it across. I said, Harvey, I'm going to catch you one of these days, one of these days. Sure enough, that night, I went out to, towards Harvey. He had the puck, and I faked my body. I put my body towards him, and I threw my stick out the other way. And sure enough, he threw the puck out, hit my stuck stick, and the puck went out the center ice, and I was gone. And I I didn't think anything else. I just gave the plot a little bob and a weave, and I said, I went upstairs. And that's, that's, you know the whole story. <laughs> that's awesome just sniping just uh, just lighting up Jacques Plante <laughs> cool yeah <laughs> but we had we had oh god I mean we had just so many guys and matter of fact Gordy Howe was in the penalty box when I scored the goal so, but it was the, it was the winner of the night <laughs> that's unbelievable speaking speaking yeah. of Gordy Howe like there's no secret that he's a legend of our game do you have oh, any yeah. Do you have any memories that stand out about him oh, or any oh, cool stories about the one of the greats? 
Well, you know, he and I, he used to come after the season. He'd come up to my home to the zoo. And then we'd go up. My brother and I had a fishing camp. We'd have to go up by rail and walk in about four or five miles and fish. You know, he loved to, he loved to fish, loved to fish. Anyway, we always, we, I'll tell you a cute story. We were, we played a game, we played a game in Boston. And we lost. And... And Gordy Al, Ted Lindsay, and Red Kelly, and myself, we went out to bite, get a bite to eat after because we were going into New York the next day. So we lost, and Howe and Lindsay were terrible at, at that game. And I'm kind of the raw, raw guy or whatever, holler guy in the dressing room. And I, I go to Gordy, and I say, you big son of a gun, you're the best, best, best hockey player in the world, and Christ, you're lousy out there. You're not doing the job for crying out loud. He said, well, you're a good hockey player. I said, hell, I couldn't carry your jockstrap. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I said, come on, you can do it. So we go into New York, we lay over, play the next night. He gets in the fight, kicks the hang out of somebody and scores three goals. Didn't Marty Pavlich do his job? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Sounds <laughs> like he did. <laughs> yeah. He was, just, he was just a big, easy kid. When he first came with, with the Red Wings, you know, he, he, I mean, you couldn't, you know, some of the fans would boo, boo him a little bit because he was just slow moving, so smooth and stuff. And, uh, and, uh, and then they realized that, you know, geez, this guy can move and can score goals. And the thing is, he had an 18 neck and he had, uh, shoulders were sloped. And he had arms like Popeye and he didn't lift weights, but what he did, he threw cement bags working with his dad in the summertime. <laughs> that, that, those are stories. Those are true stories. That's awesome. He was, Who needs he a was, he was, on cement? <laughs> he, he, sat beside, he sat beside me for 10 years. You know, and he worried about making the Red Wings. He crashed and party. <laughs> what the hell are you worried about making the Red Wings? That's the guy that's got to keep pounding. <laughs> oh, boy. That's fantastic. Was, you know, uh, yeah. Marty, I, I'd love to uh, hear about maybe a couple of the other players you played with. I mean, we, we, you played with like Ted Lindsay, Sid Abel, Red Kelly, Glenn Hall, Terry Sachuk, Al Arbor, Johnny Busick, Del Vecchio. Um, but what about, I know you're, you, had a, you had a long history with, with Ted Lindsay. Can you maybe share some, some okay. stories about him? Oh, Teddy, Teddy, Teddy was, Teddy weighed, Teddy was five foot eight, 165 pounds, and you cut him for five, and he'll cut, cut you for 10. Guaranteed. <laughs> he was the, the, the if I go to have 15 guys pick the heck out of me in the trenches, that's who I want to be with me. We're going to go down, but we're going to take a few people, I'll tell you. And he was just a one hell of, he's the guy that forced how, I think, in, in the early days of his career, Gordy, uh, Teddy was such a forcer, and uh, playing with him, they were, and then they had Sid Abel as the captain and, and, and their center, and he was quite a bit older. And that was just one hang of a line. They, they call that the production line at that time. And and uh, and yeah, that he he helped Gordy push Gordy a little bit and made him into what a great hockey player that he was. Yeah, yeah he was quite a guy. And then of course, Ted yeah. and I after not good at the business world and all of that. Yeah, well, I've, I've I lost two, two questions about Ted Lindsay for you, if you don't mind, Marty. Uh, you know, oh. I know. I know uh, 
that you, you two were in business together outside of hockey. And, and I, and you know, he, Ted Lindsay's credited with kind of the beginning of the NHL PA, the NHL players association. And, you know, I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that you were kind of involved in that as well. Can you, would you be all right talking about that situation a little bit? Oh, sure, sure, sure. What happened was, uh, that's quite a story. That's quite a story. It was very much in my career. Anyway, what happened was that we were putting $90 a paycheck 10 times a year into our pension plan. We found out, kind of found out that the owners were only putting in 60. They were supposed to match us. Ted Lindsay went to a big sports banquet in Cleveland, and Bob Feller was there, the pitcher, the great pitcher for the Cleveland Indians. And Bobby was the head of the Players Association for baseball. So Kenny was telling the story, and, he, and Kenny, and, uh, Bob Feller said to Kenny, why don't you see our attorneys in New York, Mr. Mound, and uh, tell them your story. So we did that. The next, next fall, we went back into New York. We met with Mr. Mound, and he wanted us to become unionized right away. So that we told him our story. And he said, I said, well, you know what? You know, we were Canadian kids and we weren't educated that much. We said, well, we don't want to really disrupt the folk too much. But anyway, we said, we'll call the Players Association. So what happened was we, uh, we gave him all the information we had and he realized that, you know, we got a good chance here to, to do something about this and get you guys better, better attention plan. So then what, what happened was then, and then we got back and Teddy went around the league and and, uh, and talked to the, the captains of all the teams and every team every team uh, then we had to have a vote and but we had all had to put in a hundred dollars a piece so you thought the hundred and twenty guys had to put a hundred dollars except one guy that didn't and that was Teeter Kennedy the captain of Toronto Maple Leafs he said I won't put the money in he said I won't get involved but he said I won't squeal so we were keeping this very quiet. And then what happened was we had to have a vote in the whole league. I, I, but before the vote, before the vote, they traded Lindsay to Chicago. I had been out to Jackson Hole on a vacation, came back. I had a top contract. And Mr. Adams says, uh, what do you want to do? I said, hell, I'm just 29 years old. He said, well, I tried to trade you. And nobody wanted you. And I'm going to send you to the minors. I said, you're not sending me anywhere. I quit. And that was the smartest thing I ever did. I didn't know at the time, but that was the smartest thing I ever did. And then the whole thing, they voted, and every team passed it except Detroit. Because Gordy, that's why we, Gordy had a lot of times, we did, a lot of us didn't like Gordy for a while because he let us down at the time. He was the key guy. And uh, that tells you the story of how the union got started. And then about... Oh, what about what I'm saying about maybe seven or eight years later, a lot of us got into business and stuff like that. We put in a lot more money, and we got the best attorneys in Canada, and they got went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court were older people. They knew all of us. And sure enough, we turned around and beat them for about $40 million. Party. <laughs> it does your story. <laughs> That's just That's, a, uh, well, they're making it up. They're making it up to us now. They're trying to make it up to us now, but it's it's a pension plan that wasn't wasn't that good. And you know, it's not so much for me at the time because I got into business and things were working out. It was tough the three, first three four years, but then after that, it started to work out real good. Plus, some of my other teammates, 
for teammates that are, haven't done well. You know, they needed that. Anyway, it's all worked out. Sounds like you, you're, you got story. it done. <laughs> That's the way it was in those days. You know, there were just six teams. They could control whatever they wanted. <laughs> awesome that you got that done and and speaking of getting it done you you've won four stanley cups which to me is crazy uh go the only ahead regret i only regret i have and teddy and i before he passed away and i and red kelly and, and, and gordy we used to chat, chat about it over the years we should have won another three we were we were i mean we had enough talent but we gave away so much talent we gave away sacha we gave away Busey. We gave away Horvat. We gave away Stacia. We traded good players away to other teams. And that, and then what, we were giving away Cadillacs and we were getting back Chevettes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we weren't getting the same brand that we were giving away. And it yeah. took us, you know, it made it a little tougher to win at that time. But we should have won it with the talent we have. We should have, we would have kept that. We could have won another three Stanley Cups. So I believe you when you say you hate losing because I was just talking about you winning four and you just spent the last couple minutes talking about how you should have won more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I, I mean, it's just the idea, you know, as a kid, you know, you, you, I, I say it over and over and I tell young people and, and I, I get involved with over the years is that you've got to set goals. You've got to have something. Don't blame. I tell kids, I said, you know, you can't blame the school teacher. You can't blame the coach. You can't blame you can't blame your mom and dad. I said you gotta look in the mirror in the morning. You look in the mirror in the morning and you like that face, you got it made. I'm I'm ninety two years old. I look in there and I said, You did a good job, pal, because you can't cheat on yourself. You gotta put the effort into life on your own. And I I've spoken Absolutely. to a lot of family, a lot of kids over the years, and I've got a lot of letters back and kids that have turned it around and gone the right way and been very successful. Very, very successful. That's, I mean, that's unbelievable. Let's dive into, you want to just take us through maybe one of your cup runs or all four of them. I mean, I'll sit here and listen all day if, if you, if you want to talk about them. Oh, sure. Sure. The first one, of course, you know, that's any kid, you know, a lot of guys that played in the national hockey league for 15, 16, 17 years and never won a cup. Never won a cup. And, you know, that that's the goal of a Canadian kid. You know, you want to win the Stanley Cup. You want to get your name on the Stanley Cup. And this year, this year is the first time that my name is not on the cup anymore. Not on the main cup. It, they make bands. There's bands that go around the cup, you know, and they put yep. every year, every year, every year. So it's been 50-some uh, years or whatever it is. And ours just came off came off this year the last one so it'll go on it'll go on to another cup in the hall of fame and all the bands will be there but you know, you, you never lose being on it so the no, first one on that of course, for life yeah so the first one was you know we were we were we were playing against new york and new york <laughs> the the the, uh, the circus came into the stadium in, in new york at Madison square garden so they had to play their games in Toronto. Yeah, I guess it was in Toronto. Toronto. So we had to play games with them at their home ice. So we played, and then of course uh, we, we played, and we get in the way of seven games, and, and uh, we, we beat them. And Pete Papando scored the winning goal that night. And that was the first one. The second one, of course, was uh, in '52, 
and that one was uh, was awesome. <laughs> Last year we won it for uh, eight straight games. We won eight straight games, and we had the first two games. There was some mix up, and we had to play. We had home ice advantage uh, against Montreal, but we had to play the first two games in Montreal. We went in there, beat it both times, and came right back home and finished it up. And then you're just happier, Hank. You know, and then the, the third one, the third one was in the '54. That one was just a little bit. Uh, you know, we we had a, we had a we were losing some players at the time, and and it got a little bit more of a struggle. But we had enough guys that 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 leadership, and the will to win, and we went on and won that one. And of course, the one in '55 that was an awesome one because we had a lot of new young guys and we got them thinking the right way. Of course, we went on to win. you got to have leadership. you got to have leadership. you got to have chemistry in the dressing room or you never win. Never win. Yeah, that Marty, that was kind of one of my next questions for you is what do you think, you know, separated those teams that won uh, and made those teams special? You know, for anybody that's listening, maybe it's some a takeaway or a piece of advice that, you know, what, what helped make those, those four teams that won the cup so special in your mind? Well, I, I, I think it is that we kept most of the same guys. You know, we kept the same guys and guys that don't want to lose. You know, I mean, we had Sid Abel for a couple of those cups and then they got rid of him. But then we came in, we had Normie Alban and, and, and Johnny Busick and guys like that, kids coming in. And, of course, <clears throat> uh, each year, you, you, you know, they always get to the part where they could better the team, the better the team. But I think what happened through the era that I played you know, Montreal and Toronto and Detroit were always fighting. They were always up there. They, Boston, New York, and Chicago, they were always down lower. They were down the lower. I think they were trying to, the six owners were trying to build the league a little bit more normalized, or not normalized, but more even. And, uh, and we they always made trades. And after, after winning, I'd say, why the hell do we have to make a trade? <laughs> you know, just keep what we got. We're winning. <laughs> but yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Hey, so Marty, I was looking back uh, through your career a little bit, and I I don't know if you're going to remember this or not, but back in your cup run in 1952, which, by the way, to win the Stanley Cup undefeated through the playoffs is unbelievable. I mean, what an accomplishment yeah. to be undefeated. And yeah. back then um, – the the tradition in Detroit of throwing the octopus onto the ice that happened for the first time in 1952 during the Cup run, with the uh, you know the eight legs of the octopus representing the eight uh, victories needed to to win the cup. That's exactly right. So, do you remember yeah. when that happened? Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the Cosmo the Cosmo brothers had a fish market, and they're big hockey fans. Big hockey fans, and of course after. Later on, they had restaurants and stuff. But anyway, they were the Italian family had this at this, at this fish market, and uh, uh, we were going along, going along, you know, four straight, then on five straight, six straight. Then he started. He threw the octopus on for eight straight because <laughs> and that's that's how it all started. And then after that, uh, they started selling T-shirts and other things with the octopus on it. It was funny, but. That's when it started. Uh, we wanted eight straight that year, and they were the ones and the people that, that did it. Yep, they were great hockey fans. Detroit had a lot of great hockey fans because you were close to Canada, right there at Windsor. You know, and then every time Toronto and Montreal would play, of course, all those Canadians would come over, you know, cheer for their Canadian teams. 
But uh, yeah, yeah, that's how it all started, though. Yeah. That's, it went on uh, for years, years, years. Yeah, yeah, it's gone on forever, and I didn't, I didn't know that story until, until we did kind of the briefing for this, and so it's, it's just, I mean, it's just another monumental yeah. part of our game that you got to see firsthand, which is uh, something I'm jealous of. But uh, you obviously yeah. earned that time, and um, so jumping a little bit around here, Ted. Ted Lindsay, we've talked about him already. He's your buddy, business partner, teammate. He was credited with being the first player to ever hoist the cup above his head and, and skate around with it. Uh, kind That's of, right. I mean, it's my dream. Uh, I don't know if it'll ever happen anymore, but <laughs> maybe I'll be a GM one day. Uh, but can you talk about that experience and what that was like? Oh, sure. You know, in those days, like we won the first one. The first one we won. You know, they put the cup on a on a table in center ice, and uh, they, and then they you know they gave it to uh, to the general manager, and then Lindsay. You know, you're standing around. You just carry on. We never never had it in the dressing room. They just take it away, and it's gone. And then all of a sudden, Teddy said, "You know what? Hey, I'm going to grab this thing," and which he did, and skated around the rink, and it was a huge success. And that's how it all started because they never, they never brought in. All they used to do is bring in the center ice and then take it back. And so we'd never see the cup again. You know, I never saw my, I never saw the cup with my name on it till I was on the, on the board at the Hockey Hall of Fame. Is that right? You know, years, years later, yeah. You saw it in print, but you didn't see it. Reggie, hold it in your hand. You know, oh and break out of the top, which they do now. They bring it in the dressing room. And, it's a beautiful, beautiful trophy. Beautiful. It's, a, it's the greatest trophy in sports. It is. Yeah, it is. hundred percent agree with yeah. you, Marty. And, and this is uh, something that really, you know, I've known Marty for a long time. And when I was a kid, Marty, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I used to, I used to caddy for Marty, uh, carry his clubs and we'd, we'd golf and talk hockey. And uh, there is one day, Marty, after a round that you brought me back to your house and you showed me your trophy case. And in that trophy case, and I, I, I was maybe 12 years old, and I remember this vividly. There was, um, you had your, your kind of like silver, they look like plates. They look like something that you would win that they give out at a, a winning a tennis championship now. But you had all of those right. from every uh, regular season championship you guys won. And then you also had, right. back then, because they didn't give out rings when you won Stanley Cups, they gave out like no, no. the bowls. Can you talk about those, those yeah, bowls that you guys got when you yeah, won? They get they gave the top of the Stanley Cup, that bowl on top of the Stanley Cup. They engraved that, all that with your name and the year and the Stanley Cup winners and stuff like that. And, you know, those those plates and all that stuff. You know, you know we, uh, we we went on a streak at one time. We were in first place seven years in a row. Then we were second, and we were eight, eight out of nine years we were in first place. We went on a streak. We were just that. I mean, we were just a hell of a club. It was great, great, great. I mean, it was just, we just had great, great teammates and great uh, chemistry on the team that we just kept on going. Yep. Yeah. The and only regret I have is that we should have won three more Stanley Cups. <laughs> Competitor. Yeah, he's still pissed about that. Um, well, Mark, the, so it's hard to explain on a podcast, but the, t- the trophies that I mentioned that, that Marty had, I, I still think it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It's like, it's a it's the exact top of the cup, the top bowl, right? And so Marty's got right, a exactly. 
couple of those. And Marty, can you tell the story about how what happened in the? I think it was maybe in, was in the '90s, or early 2000s, when the the Red Wings won again, and you you brought those, you busted out those cups for uh, down at the corral. Down at the corral barn. Well, I told I told uh, David House, and, 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 uh, and I said, you know what? I said, you guys are cut the game on, and you want to celebrate. I said, I think they're going to win it. I'll bring the top of the cup down, and uh, and. Uh, we got a bottle, a couple of bottles of champagne, and poured it, turned it around the restaurant. It was, it was a, a kind of a fun thing, and they all enjoyed it. They all saw the top of the Stanley Cup, which was pretty nice. Um, it's awesome. I'm just kind of in awe a little bit of these stories. But one thing that I want to talk about because it always jumps out at me is just the different mindsets of people like yourself that have been there, done that, and done it at the highest level, and the idea that, like you said, your goal from when you were a kid was to win the Stanley cup. Is that, is that a pretty common thing for, so, so I'm a U.S. born hockey player and it seems like every U.S. born hockey, U.S. born hockey players goal is to get a scholarship and play college hockey. Uh, I have, what, when, you were, when you were growing up, what is, what has happened over all quite a few years. When I quit playing in 1957, I said, you know, the American kid is good in football good in basketball, good in baseball. But there's not enough parents or grandparents or enough ice for the American kids in hockey. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start hockey schools, a hockey school. And I started a hockey school in Detroit, and it grew up to be pretty good size. And then it went up. We had to go up to Port Huron at the big rake there and had it there. We had kids from all over the country come. And I invited... I invited uh, certain coaches to come in, and we started up. And from that, I proved my point. I said, I'm going to coach these kids, coach these kids. Some of these kids I had repeated for four or five years in a row. They would come to the school. And some of them some of them became, uh, got a free ride into college, and a few of them made the National Hockey League. And the thing is that all those kids needed was to get some good coaching. You're like Canada, every grandmother, grandfather, uncle, aunt, cousin, know a little bit about hockey. The United States, they didn't know that much. Now, we go, We and my kids used to go to Canada, and Canada would spot us by 10 goals and beat us by 10. We go over there now, we kick their butts. Mm-hmm. We kick their butts. We win. We yeah. win. A lot of people, and now the number one draft, most of the number one draft picks today uh, first, I've been American kids. That just tickles me. When you get a guy like Matthews who's playing in Toronto, he's from Arizona. You know, yep. <laughs> he's a guy. So that's what thrills me to death, that the American kid now is as good as anybody. Absolutely, and awesome, Matthew. We're both, I grew up in Arizona too, so that's kind of close to, to home when you talk about guys like that. But can we talk talk a little bit about just your mindset? And you've mentioned a few times that you just you hate losing you hate, uh, you should have won three more Stanley Cups and all these different things. Is that something that, that you're preaching to, to younger hockey players when you go and talk to them? It's just like, I mean, I, I'm sure you're a lot like most of my buddies that are hockey players. Like, they hate losing at board games. They hate losing at uh, anything. And so, is that is that something that you pass along or something that you talk about? I do. I do. I, I always tell young people, and I get kids, as I said before, I said, you know, 
have a goal. Have a goal. Set a goal what you want to be. I mean, you might change your mind along the way, but at least something you got direction that you have. It makes life so much easier when you know. Now, it's not going to be easy. I know the first year, my first four, four years in my business life, you know, I had jobs offered to me better than I, more money than I made playing hockey, but we didn't make big money in those days. I broke in as a 19-year-old kid in 1947, and my first contract was $6,000, and I thought I died and went to heaven. I've never seen so much money, you know, <laughs> because <laughs> there were times. I mean, I built, a, in the war years, I built army camps close to my, and I was 14 or 15 years old, and they needed anybody, and I was working with for a contract, and I was making 47 cents an hour. Yeah, so thanks for taking. But anyway, I, I tell these kids, you got to set you got to set some example. In my first four years of business, I didn't put her. I didn't put a red cent in the bank. You know, I was almost, I was just almost drowning. But I I believed in what I wanted to do. Because I had jobs offered to me, and I didn't. I wanted to work for myself, and that's how that's how it happened. And, and became after that as the old saying gays it came in wheelbarrows yeah. you know, it was just everything was going good <laughs> but you had to put the effort you know anybody says marty you're lucky i'll punch you right in the nose yeah eight days a week 18 hours a day that's how lucky i was <laughs> you know? I, love it. I love it i'm Mark. telling you I'm telling you i'm telling you young guys the true story of, of, of my life <laughs> i love it yeah. Marty, you uh, you mentioned something just in passing there, which is amazing to me. That's just in passing, but you mentioned your your involvement with the, the Hockey Hall of Fame. Can you touch like what what are, what's your involvement or, or was your involvement in, with the Hockey Hall of Fame? And, and can you just explain a little bit how you you you've played a? Oh yeah, sure. What I was I was at uh, Scotty Morrison was the chairman of the Hall of Fame, and Scotty was a referee uh, back in my day. And he came to Detroit uh, one time for, I don't know, for some special occasion. And he said, Marty, would you mind coming on and being on the nominating committee at the Hall of Fame? I said, Scotty, I would love it. I said, I would love it. I said, I think what you guys have done over the years, and I said, some of the guys that they let in over the years should never be in there. And I, and I, and I told him, I said, there's about 10 or 15 guys that don't belong in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I played with those guys. All of us do that. But they had to put somebody in. And he said, that's the kind of guy we want. So I went I went to the first meeting, and it was in the, in, in Quebec City at that time, the meeting uh, for the Hall of Fame. And the uh, first year we had a meeting, nobody got in. And that just tickled me to death. And uh, after that, people that got in really deserved to be in. Yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. I enjoyed it. Uh, uh, what happened was that Scotty Morrison, who was the head of the uh, uh, Hall of Fame, came into Detroit for a special event, and uh, I happened to be there. And he said, "Geez, Marty, would you mind? Would you think ever thinking of becoming on the uh, nominating committee for the Hall of Fame?" I said, "Oh, I'd love that." I said, "Scotty, I've been you know I think of that. I over the years I looked at some of the people you guys have let in." I said, I don't think really belong in the hall. And he said, I agree with you, but those are the things that happen. So anyway, yeah, I, I, I went there and, and started the meetings. And, and uh, the first meeting I was in, it was in Quebec City. And uh, that's where they had ours at that time because they moved around the country. 
And uh, that year we had a vote and uh, nobody got in. So that's that was kind of nice to see that maybe maybe we're getting a little bit more serious about who we put in the Hall of Fame. I think a guy that goes in the Hall of Fame should be really, really a Hall of Famer, uh, totally. And I mean, I don't think you should give a, give away any of these <clears throat> if come if come. And there's been a few of those, but those things will always happen no matter what we do in life. There's some things get by. And uh, I had yeah. 14 years. I had 14 years, and then I retired because I just didn't know some of the newer, younger players that were coming up. I didn't know too much about them. I wasn't watching that carefully, and I didn't play against any of those guys. So I didn't know much too much about that. And that's when I, I retired. But I had 14 years there. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Gotcha. So, I, yeah, because I know when I looked up, uh, in the Hockey Hall of Fame database, you're you're listed in there. So now, Marty, could be you now with your involvement in the in that. Like, I, I just don't know the answer to this question. Are you in the in the Hall of Fame, or are you just part of the the nomination committee? What was your relationship there? Well, no, I did not. At my time, uh, I've been told I've been told numerous times if now they put guys that are defensive forwards and stuff like that, especially things have gotten in. But in my day, that none of those guys got in. Well, I didn't get in either. <laughs> we'll, we'll make a push. I, I think uh, they made a mistake. So we'll make a push to get you get you in that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I know there's – I'm in the Hall of Fame yeah. in my hometown, and that, that's good enough. <laughs> Absolutely. Plus your name's on the cup, but I know there's a, I know there's guys uh, in the hall of fame with a lot less on their resume than you. So uh, you're a hall of famer in my book. I'll tell you that um, a big part uh, of what we're trying to do with the podcast is just leave this game better than we found it. And with you having tons of knowledge in the game of hockey and I mean, your whole, your whole life's been hockey, which is, unbelievable and so do, do you have any advice for for players that are that are playing the game like youth hockey players right now do you have anything that you'd want to reach out and say hey I, I just want all you youth hockey players to hear this well I think I think what I, I, I like about the kids today I mean if you got a chance uh, you know education is very important but if you, you can always get an education my theory is that you've got the talent and the ability take advantage of it then you can go in the summertime and get your education or whatever you want. I'm not against that. And I think some of them that are good enough, they should go and uh, they get a chance to play in college. Go. There's been quite a few kids that came out of college into the National Hockey League. And I agree with that. I like to see, I'm just thrilled to death to see the way the American kids are, are, are really exploding in the National Hockey League. And it's all over the United States. That's the thing that I like. Because I love the game. I love the game. I love every bit of it, and I think our kids are as good as any. And uh, and uh, I just like to see them. When you get the chance, don't lose it. Don't get the chance. When you get the chance to lose it, I I knew what I wanted. Education was secondary at that time, but you know you learn. You learn. You learn as you go along, and you can improve your education as you go along too. Awesome, Marty. Awesome. That's well, let's let's talk about some more advice for uh, you know like Danny. Danny here is a, a hockey coach. I'm a I'm a hockey coach, as you know, Marty. And you know we got a lot of hockey coaches listening as well, and they can make a big impact on their their players. So, um, what about uh, what advice would you extend out to hockey coaches, American, Canadian, or European, anywhere? What advice would you have for hockey coaches that would be listening right now? 
I would think today, today and uh, uh, as a coach, you got to stress skating. Skating is the number one thing today. They look at speed, speed, speed. And that is the key thing. And to be a good coach, I'll tell you, there's Scotty Bowman, Mike Babcock, Tommy Ivan. These are good coaches because you have to be disciplined. And you've got to make the kids realize, hey, we're going to practice. We're going to practice for an hour. No fool around. We're going to boom, boom, boom. Run your practices. Get them well organized. So you know before you go on the ice what you're going to do. And get it organized so those kids get a hole. When they come out of there, they're soaking wet. Then you know you've done a good job. For sure. Is there Are there any coaches that you've had along the way that, that really stood out to you? Oh, my first coach. I mean, i never forget. Benny Littner, my coach at uh, Sioux Technical School. I was there just one year, and I played for him for, for two years. And uh, he taught me the fundamentals of the game, how to catch a pass, how to give a pass, and, and so forth. He was number one. He was number one at my age at that time was very important was very, very important. And of course, Tommy Ivan, Tommy Ivan, the coach that I had with Detroit, Tommy was very good. He, he handled his players just to perfection. He knew when you needed a little bit of tenderness and you need a little bit, when you need a little bit chewing out sometimes. But he knew when to do it. Sometimes, some people, you, know, you chew them out all the time, and then you lose them. They're not going to play for you too well. But he had a good idea how to handle it. And, and these are the couple of coaches that I had that I really liked. And the, the last guy I had was Jimmy Skinner. Jimmy was a player, and he coached us, and we won the Stanley Cup in 55. And he was just a regular guy. You know, he was not maybe the most outstanding coach, but he did the job. Yeah, you know, I mean, when, you, when you're coaching, when you're coaching, and you guys are coaching, even at this age that you have these kids, you gotta have the discipline there. You gotta make them realize the discipline has gotta be there. You gotta pay attention. You know, if they don't, make them sit, put them in the corner, or put them on the bench for a while. And not use as Tom, as a uh, Scotty Bowman used to do, the Shanahan, the great one of the great goal scorers for the Red Wings. Shanahan wants to do this, do that. Scotty said, "You do it the way I want you to do it." So he made him sit on the bench. And he sat there now for a period and a half. Think about what you're doing. And he sure straightened him out, and he became a hell of a hockey player. And I'm saying to you, as you coaches, you've got young people in your hands, and you've got to be. You can't be. You, you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very firm when I had my hockey school. If the kids didn't pay attention, I would say, here's your money, go home. And you know what? I got repeat business every, every year, and they paid attention. When they came there, they got their money's worth. Because you only get an hour on the ice. You only get an hour on that ice. You better take advantage of it. I love that, Marty. I love that. I I know a couple guys that uh, you coached a little bit uh, out here at the junior team, and they kind of said the same thing. You don't mess around when Marty's on the ice. It's all, you're having a good time, but it's all business. You're you're making the most of it. Well, yeah, you got to have fun. I I mean, I think i got to have fun. I mean, I like to have fun, too. But yeah. when you're when you're working out, you've got to get the whole shot in there. I'll tell you. No, I think that's great advice, Marty. I mean, you've got to be serious uh, and disciplined when when the time comes, but you've got to enjoy doing it, yeah. enjoy the process as well. So I think that's great advice for the coaches out there and the players. 
Well, Marty, I think uh, I think that's going to wrap it up here today. Unless you had any final thoughts, um, you know, we we really appreciate you coming on. I think it's a special occasion to hear um, from someone like yourself that's won so many uh, accolades, the Stanley Cups in the in the, in the league, and and to hear about your experience. So I really truly appreciate you sharing uh, sharing your stories with us. And you know, I think Danny and Vinny and I could could sit down here and listen to you all day. Um, so maybe maybe we can do this again sometime in person and. Uh, and get you back on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Marty. Before we go, you know, the name of the the podcast, uh, the show here today is it's called the let's go hockey podcast. Uh, And what we do with our guests, Marty, is we usually have them give us a let's go to sign us off. Can you give us a let's go? Let's go. Awesome. (laughs) Marty, thank you so much. We, uh, we're going to let you go here. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Um, and best of luck to you here. Hope, hopefully we'll cross paths soon. Thanks a lot, Marty. Thank you, Thank Danny. You. Thank you, Peter. I enjoyed it very much. Anytime for you, Peter. Thanks, Marty. <laughs> okay, pal. Bye-bye. And that's another episode, a very special episode of the Let's Go Hockey podcast. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. From Danny, Pete, and myself, Really a huge thank you to everybody that's been on the show, all of our sponsors, but most importantly, thanks to you for listening. This would not be possible without the guys and girls that listen to this, so keep tuning in, and we're going to keep bringing you awesome interviews and content and doing what we can to leave the game a little better than we found it. All right, we'll see you soon. Thanks again, and let's go! Let's go!